Hey, welcome to the 258th episode of the Random Podcast from Heck. My name is Tony, and this is a podcast about everything about random things in the world of entertainment, oops, which includes movies, TV shows, and comic books. Oh my goodness. A big shout out to Dave McPhail and Andrew Loken. They are big supporters of the show. You can be a supporter by going to patreon.com slash gmanfromheck. Any amount you can commit to will be awesome. If you commit at the Rick Jones tier or higher, you get access to the secret podcast from Heck, which is an additional 30 minutes of podcast entertainment every single week. I just recently tested out like an off my mind audio version i might do, uh, do a video as well um I, I filmed a video as i was doing the audio part um the audio is longer and it, it's something i might do just random topics i used to do off my mind articles way back in the day it's just something just to talk about listen to it and find out if, if you're a patron supporter sometimes i talk about movies i've talked about a lot of like recent classic um weird movies uh, recently and um i might go do some some more classic comic book do another story arc or, or or two or whatever coming up but if you can't commit to a monthly commitment you can also help out by going to coffee.com slash gman from heck and you can buy me a virtual cup of coffee or four that is ko-fi.com slash gmat from heck so thank you to everyone who supports uh, I, I i do deeply appreciate it. it it means a lot it helps out more than you you can imagine and you can also tell that intro <laughs> i should just like use the same intro each time i don't do that obviously i messed up after 257 times doing the same thing and Anyways, so this week, um, we'll see how I, I'm actually, I'm not even sure how long this week's episode will be last week's. I still, I don't understand how, how it happened. Last week's is so incredibly short compared to normal. Cause they've been like four or five hours lately. Uh, last week's was like just barely, just like two hours and 15 minutes or something like that. I think part of it was th- with the, like the Netflix shows and where I was covering like half the season, like resident evil and umbrella Academy that usually tends to add like close close pretty close to an hour of content just on that and then when they're doubling up so i think that's part of what caused like these four hour plus episodes i know some people love them i personally i don't i can't imagine everyone saying yes give me a four-hour podcast every week i could do that i could try to do that i could find i can make it happen i don't know what i would talk about for four hours i just don't think people necessarily want four hours you got other things to do other things to listen to i i get it so thank you for listening to you taking your time to listen to this and i should get to the point so this doesn't become four hours of me just talking about this so with this week uh, i've got a lot of the regular shows there there's a lot coming out this week that's not going to make the cut uh so i'm just going to be straight up with that it's just a matter of convenience and just trying to balance everything but like uh, Prey is out. That's not going to be covered this week. The Prey is, I don't, I, I still, I haven't heard or read why they're calling it Prey and not a Predator. So it's a Predator movie on Hulu that, that came out Friday. So I'll probably uh, talk about that next week. There's also Sandman, which you know how I feel about all those episodes. So I don't think I could watch at least like half of the episodes in time in order to talk about it. I know with, with Paper Girls, I, I, do not like that they dropped all Paper Girls at once. And I know I talked about like one episode of Paper Girl. And then this week I'm going to talk about a few more. And then next week I'll probably do the rest. I don't like doing that. Uh, it's just weird. Sandman I'll probably cover over the next couple of weeks. <laughs> so what is going to be on this episode if it's not any of that stuff? I think there's like other stuff coming out too. Uh, 
there's this cool Korean movie. I totally forget what it's called. It's like this action movie that just came out. I saw the trailer. I haven't watched it. Trailer look, looks, it's supposed to be like one stop or one shot action or something, you know, like some gimmicky thing like that. But it, the trailer looked pretty cool. So I don't know if I'll talk about that, but I definitely want to watch that this week. So yeah, we have Westworld. We have uh, Blackbird. Blackbird's episode five. By the time you listen to this, six is out. I haven't watched it yet. But yeah, so we'll do that next week. And with Paper Girls, so I'm going to do episode two, three, four, and five. So do four episodes this week. Next week, we'll do six, seven, and eight. So gives me a chance to, again, I don't want this to be like, this is the Paper Girls podcast, you know, because that's just going to get too long. Gives you a chance. Maybe you've watched them all already. Maybe you watched them all that first weekend. Maybe you're, you're picking away at them. I don't know what your 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 TV viewing um, schedule habits are. It's just for me because there's so much. It's just so hard to do. So we're gonna do that. And then uh, there's an, one episode of Harley Quinn that came out this week. And um, movie I've been really looking forward to since I, I saw the first trailer. And then I listened to the audiobook Bullet Train. And so I definitely have some some things to say about that. But let's get to the news. There's a uh, some big crazy news and a lot of people are like unsettled and unsure what's going on. So with the the new uh, CEO for Warner Brothers, Warner Brothers Discovery, whatever they're even calling themselves now. So David Zaslav, Zaslav, he is like canceling some stuff. Batgirl, the Batgirl HBO Max movie, which was like pretty much done, the 80 million, 90 million, whatever dollar movie, canceled. And what makes it worse, I mean, I feel I, I it's horrible for everyone involved. I mean, you're shooting this movie, you're pouring your your all your your heart into it, you know, trying to make this the coolest effort. And there, you know, there's some talk like, oh, it didn't test well with some audience. Maybe that's the case or whatever, but these people are working their butts off to do the best that they can. And then it's just gonna be canceled. And not only is it just canceled, but some of the talk is that they're gonna use it as a tax write-down. I guess it's different from a write-off. So a write-down, you're just basically saying this is a complete loss. So, you know, $90 million, uh, give us a break on, on other stuff. That's uh, That seems insane. So if they do that, I guess that means that it's not going to stream on HBO Max, not going to stream anywhere. So it won't be like popping up on, on Hulu or, or Netflix or something like that. And it won't be in theaters. It won't be, I don't even think it'd be like released on, on Blu-ray or anything like that. That is is crazy. Even if it's a, a mess, I still want to watch it. And, and the thing is, I'd rather watch Batgirl. I, I think I would rather watch Batgirl than the Snyder Cut of Justice League. I would be totally fine if I never watched Justice League, the Snyder Cut. It To me, personally, it didn't add anything. I know a lot of people loved it. I'm glad you loved it. I'm, I'm glad you had four hours of optimal entertainment or whatever it, it provided for you. That is, and I'm being totally serious, no sarcasm at all. Just for me, it was fine. I mean, it, yeah, it enhanced the original, I guess, but I, I was fine if I, you know, if I'd never would have seen it. I haven't watched it since then. I haven't gone back like, Oh, I, I kind of want to watch it again. I really want to watch Batgirl. And, you know, I had some questions about some, you know, certain things, but I really wanted to see what they were going to do with it. And I think it's a shame that it's just canceled. Are, is there any chance to, you know, it, it's not even like, 
let's try to do some reshoots. Let's try to fix it. It's just like, let's just kill it. And that just seems, seems crazy. Along with that, there was going to be another Scoob movie, CG movie with Zac Efron and whoever else was, was voicing the characters. It was supposed to be like a holiday one. And the producer on that, he I saw on Twitter or something like that, he's like, it was almost done and it looked beautiful. And he he's saddened that it's not happening. After Comic-Con and getting talked to Matthew Lillard again, <laughs> it, 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 it kind of made me sad when he, he said that he was really sad that they didn't ask him to do it. And, you know, he's like, I, I think it was a mistake. So, um, <laughs> good for Matthew Lillard. But, you know, maybe it's karma. Or, but that, that's still, that, that's, not, that's not nice to say. You know, it, it may not have been the best Scooby-Doo thing. I didn't mind the movie. I, I think it had some merit. You know, I, I would question some of the casting things, but, you know, I question a lot of voice act casting, you know, sometimes when you do that. So that's that's gone too. It, it's just like, it's it's crazy that they're, they're, they're doing this. And there's like some stuff that they want to focus more on theatrical releases. And I, I thought I saw something about like less scripted stuff. Is Like, does that mean you're doing more, like reality show and with the, I don't even know like what's on discovery plus or, you know, what type of live action. I, I feel like it's more like educational stuff. Maybe I'm thinking more like national geographic, TV, whatever. I, I don't, I don't watch it personally. I don't know what this, you know, there's, there's talk of like merging the two uh, streaming platforms. I'm, I'm worried what that means. I love HBO max. I think they have a great, great platform and it, it just, it's it's amazing, but they've even like uh, quietly um, taken away, like removed some of their movies, and because usually you're like, oh, this this is leaving at the end of the month and everything. Like the American Pickle, the Seth Rogen, that's gone. And I, I was just talking to someone about that recently because they hadn't seen it. I was like, yeah, you should see it. it it's 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 pretty funny. You know, it, it was it was a they did a good job. That's just gone. Why? You know, maybe they're going to try to stream it somewhere else, you know, sell, make some more revenue off of it. Maybe they're going to release it on Blu-ray. I don't know if it ever was, but it's, I'm just really concerned. And supposedly stuff like Peacemaker is safe that, you know, they're not going to necessarily cancel that. Like, cause they're, they're trying to cut costs. And I get that whatever was going on, maybe this new CEO, he's like, okay, we need to, we need to clean up. We need to clean house. We need to, you know, there's too much money being spent here and here and here. Let's try to tighten things up. And I get that, you know, trying to do put more quality stuff and not quantity, but still, come on, man. Are we going to get doom patrol another season? Uh, when I watch Harley Quinn this week, you know, a lot of time with the HBO Max stuff, they give you like a little trailer preview for something else on, on the, the the streaming channel. And there was a, a commercial for Doom Patrol trailer or whatever. And at the end, it's like all episodes streaming now. There's no mention of like, it was season four, right? Isn't <laughs> it no, no like new season coming soon or next year or anything like that? It's just like all episodes. So that to me, maybe I'm just reading too way too much into it. It makes me feel like that that's it. That that that's you're we're not getting anything more. Um, what about like our flag means death? I would I'm had didn't watch it in the beginning, but I've I've been picking away. I think I'm on episode seven, and I I I'm digging the show. I want another season of this, but I don't think it was like gangbuster ratings. <sighs> I'm I'm just just really concerned. There was a a, a statement from Warner Brothers. It says the decision to not release Batgirl reflects our leadership's strategic shift 
as it relates to the DC Universe and HBO Max. Leslie Grace is an incredibly talented actor, and this decision is not a reflection of her performance. We are incredibly grateful to the filmmakers of Batgirl and Scoob Holiday Haunt and the respective cast, and we hope to collaborate with everyone again in the near future. If it were me, and they're like, hey, you want to try out for this movie at, at Warner Brothers? I'd be like, heck no. I'm not going to pour my creative juices, my creative energy, just to have it all taken away. Because that, that would be horrible if you, you do all this stuff and then no one gets to see it. And I'm not saying it's just so much about like like getting praise or pat on the back. This is what you do. This And I'm sure they are incredibly proud of all the work hard work and tears and effort that they put in and then it's just getting thrown away it's just like sorry no no we don't care about it we're just gonna toss it and cut you know cut our losses or whatever that just seems seems crazy i just don't understand this idea and i i i just i really don't know what what to say about that i'm going along with that uh the other question is well if if that's gone what does that mean is this going to be their opportunity are they going to get rid of the flash also because of all the ezra miller uh, controversy apparently that's not the case zazlav confirmed uh via a, a variety that the flash theatrical debut is still on track for june 23rd 2023 and uh, of everything it's like okay this is a dude who's been arrested like twice he's been accused of grooming and it's, it's just like and okay yeah let's let's give him his and i'm not i'm not by any means saying let's cancel this because again same thing a lot of people involved with this but I don't know. So it's interesting in, in the statement, Zaslov says, we have seen the Flash, Black Adam, and Shazam too. We are very excited about them. We've seen them. We think they are terrific and we think we can make them even better. Okay, so what does that mean? Are you going to make some more tweaks and, and change some things? Maybe. It's like, okay, if, if you're you know being true to the source or whatever, have at it. Because they, they said that you know they're not going to release anything that it's not 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 ready. So with with Alan Horn uh, on board, they're like we think. Um, or said it's very similar to the structure Alan Horn, Bob Iger, and Kevin Feige put together effectively at Disney. So they're trying to be like Disney, right? We think we can build a much stronger, sustainable growth business out of DC. As part of that, we are going to focus on quality. We are not going to release any film before it's ready. DC is something that we can make better. It's like okay. I don't know. Because they said, uh, or he also said, if you look at Batman, Superman, Wonder Woman, Aquaman, these are brands that are known everywhere in the world. Uh, we have done a reset. We've structured the business where we are going to focus. Wait, wait, we've restructured the business where we are going to focus, where there is going to be a team with a 10-year plan focusing just on DC. So maybe that's a good thing, but it also sounds like they don't want to do like streaming stuff that they want to focus more on, on movies. So we'll get less movies, but there's supposed to be quality movies and we're not going to have like streaming shows, but like peacemaker was amazing. And again, I would, I would love to have even like a six episode series where you can, you know, flesh out the story more versus getting a two hour movie. And then you have to wait three years at least to get more. 
Oh, man. So, I don't know. I, I really don't know what's going on. And then, uh, going along with, uh, like, Michael Keaton. Uh, supposedly, Michael Keaton shot a scene for Aquaman 2. But there's uh, some questions about that. It's like, wait, so Michael Keaton's going to be in Aquaman 2. But then there's a talk about Ben Affleck being in there. So, it's like, are, are there going to be two Batmans in there? And there is supposedly, I, I don't know how much Aquaman stuff has, has been done, but I, I think it was said that some like audiences were confused. Like, why is Michael Keaton there when it's supposed to be Ben Affleck? But the other thing also, I believe originally Aquaman was supposed to come out, or no, the, flat, the Flash, Flashpoint, whatever it's called, was supposed to come out before Aquaman. But now that got switched because Aquaman supposed to come out in March, but the CEO didn't even mention Aquaman. So that's that's a little concerning. But maybe that's why Ben Affleck was on set. They're like, OK, we shot this scene with Michael Keaton, but because we're changing things and because the flash isn't out yet. So we have to bring in Ben Affleck back and then somehow they, they convinced him to do it. I, I don't know. Hopefully, you know, fingers crossed, and you know, I want the best. But it's it just it sucks for for those that you know work work their butts off. So we'll have to wait and see, you know, what what's going to happen. Because I have no idea. Um, speaking of the other Flash, the CW Flash, the Flash is going to end with season nine. It's official, and it, so next year, twenty twenty three, and it's only going to be thirteen episodes. Okay, I, I, that's 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 a bummer. I mean, it's a it's gonna be the longest running CW show. I guess it's not really surprising. Maybe that's something else. Warner Brothers is like, you know, let's cut cut corners, cut costs there as well. And you know, maybe it's just time. You know, maybe they just not sure what else. To, I don't. I have no idea. I don't know. Also, I guess now it's official. I thought it was official before. Lady Gaga apparently is confirmed to be in Joker la 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 whatever it is joker 2 i don't know what i forget what it's called something french i don't speak french no offense uh, if you speak french or are from france uh it's coming out october 4th 2024 so it's like two years from now to make a joker 2 movie because all the special effects and cg and right i don't know i don't even know is a story written is it gonna be a musical that's what people are saying i just joker was a good movie I, I will admit that. I don't think it should be a, a Joker. It should not be the Joker. It should not be even, you know, branded with a DC logo or anything like that. This is not the Joker. We should not know who the Joker was before. We should not know his name. And I know there's a glimpse, you know, the killing joke and stuff like that. I just don't think we need to go there. And that just, that to me, that doesn't feel like the Joker. So it's Elseworld, whatever you want to call it. So we have that to look forward to, I guess. <laughs> uh, Wyatt Russell. So he played U.S. agent and Captain uh, Fal Fal Captain America and Winter Soldier. Falcon and Winter Soldier. Falcon and Winter Soldier. And uh, he says Marvel hasn't called him yet for Thunderbolts movie. It's still early. You know, maybe they're they're like, well, we need to get it. We want to do this movie. We got to do a script first. That being said, they still need to kind of confirm like, hey, Wyatt Russell, we're going to do this movie. 
clear your calendar for dot, 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 you know, whatever dates, because he hasn't been called yet. And then maybe, you know, he he needs, he needs work. You know, everyone needs work. You're an actor. You're not just going to sit around waiting. So he might sign up for something else. They're like, and then there's going to be scheduling conflicts. And then what? Then it's just like, oh, we just won't use them or write them out. No. So I, I don't know. I hope it all works out. Uh, who knows? Um, sad news. You know, Nichelle, I, I've never, I don't know why that doesn't sound right to me. Nichelle Nichols, uh, Lieutenant Uhura from Star Trek, passed away. So natural causes. 89 so that that's always sad it's it's weird and i know it's as as like some of us like myself are getting older more people that we've known or grew up with or you know seen whatever you know they're they were older than us to begin with so they're passing away you're looking at like all these comic legends who are like passing away and it's it's always sad but i mean hopefully she had a happy life you know she was 89 and it's it's always sad when the time comes i mean but that's a circle of life or whatever so it, it's 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 sad star wars andor k2so is not going to be in season one they're going to wait till like season two and i guess ideas is from like a story point you know storytelling point of view whatever um i guess it'll make sense they're like kind of like wait and see you know you'll see what we're talking about because they don't want to spoil things but so I guess the seasons are 12 episodes each. Because I, I, when I first heard about it, it's like 24-episode season. I think that's what I what I talked about. I'm like, what? That is insane. So I think they're talking about two 12-episode seasons, which 12 is still a lot. I don't know if I said 24, but 12 is a lot, you know, considering like we get six episodes of Moon Knight and, and Ms. Marvel. The first season is supposed to be like andor's like earlier years and then the second season is going to be like the next four years and then it's supposed to end with like leading right up to rogue one or something like that it, it's just interesting that i talk about i don't even remember when the trailer came out did the trailer come out this week or was it last week i don't know if i talked about it i absolutely cannot remember the trailer is very interesting it doesn't quite feel like star wars and for me this is something that i've talked about a lot it's like, why do I care about these characters if it's not Luke Skywalker or Han Solo or, you know, any of these core characters? And yeah, you have the Mandalorian, but, you know, you got elements of Boba Fett, which are who I love. And, you know, you got uh, Grogu and, you know, there, there's other things that kind of still sort of tie it together that they've, like, br- you know, bridged it in, in, in and out, whatever. So with, with Andor... I, you know, I did enjoy Rogue One, and, and part of it is because there was a Death Star story. So there's your connection. So with Andor, this is really pulling itself away from the Skywalker saga or whatever you want to call it. You know, these these there's no Jedi. Maybe we may see some, but you know, there's there's none of no connection to any of our familiar, quote unquote familiar characters. And as I watched this trailer, it was it was kind of like eye opening for me is, is this because this is something that I talked about when we see like the next Star Wars movie or when Taika Waititi does it, you know, what what it's going to be something so removed from what we've seen. And my big question is like, why am I going to care about some other random character in this world? And that's going to be for me the big sell, making me care about this new character that I don't know about. At least with like with a uh, uh, Ray and Finn, you know, there's they were still immersed and they interacted with some of the classic characters. So it, I could I always saw that as like like a, it could have been a passing of the torch, 
you know, have them mix with with the the regular characters, and then they can go off and do their own trilogies. Which I, I'm I'm bummed that we're not getting that. You know, it doesn't seem like there's any interest whatsoever with doing that. I would love to to see more of you know Poe and 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 all them. So who knows? So with Andor, the the trailer makes it. You know, there's a lot of like the Imperial and Republic. You know, the the the, the fighting and everything like that. So it it looks. It kind of felt a little different, even though you got maybe stormtroopers or whatever. You know, it just feels like it's it's. I'm I'm definitely curious. Is I guess what I'm trying to say, and not doing a very good job of it. So, well, I, I'm I'm down for that. Uh, it's it's not like oh Obi Wan's coming out. Awesome! I love you and McGregor. I love Obi Wan Kenobi. This is gonna be cool and everything. This is gonna be totally different. And I think that's good in a way because it kind of lowers some expectations or, you know, so you can just enjoy it for what it is and you don't have to worry about how it fits into this. And how is, you know, how does Ewan McGregor turn into Al Guinness and just, you know, five years or, you know, so it, it'll be interesting to, to see how, how they do all that. Some kind of bummer news. She Hulk is moving is, is being delayed one day. So it's coming out on August 18th now instead of the 17th. It's coming out on Thursdays. For me, that's a bummer. I I much prefer to Wednesdays. It's easier for me to watch on Wednesdays. So here's the thing. Often, or sometimes, not often, but a lot of times, I'll try to record the podcast on a Friday. You know, maybe a Saturday. You know, so that way I can like edit and everything and have it ready to go Sunday. Because, you know, I, I work during the day and everything you know, just trying to balance everything. So having it out on Thursdays and there's other stuff that comes out on Thursdays, you know, like the you know Harley Quinn or whatever, you know, HBO Max stuff usually comes out on Thursdays. And that's why, why, again, just letting you everyone, you know, spilling the secret sausage, maybe all that stuff. That's why a lot of time the Friday stuff doesn't make the cut because it's hard to, to squeeze that in. And also I tend to watch the movies Thursday nights because my theater does like the, you know, five o'clock or seven o'clock, whatever previews Thursday night, which is awesome for me. Cause that way I don't have to try to go, you know, after work on Friday or whatever. So it's, I know it's just one day, but I, I like the Wednesday and it, I, I'm so glad don't do it on Friday because that's when Netflix drops everything. And, you know, it, there's too much competition. So Wednesday was like awesome. And it's, it's just, I don't, I don't understand why they think Thursday's better because also like Amazon and Apple tend to drop things on Thursdays. Like on the West coast, things tend to come out at, at 6 PM. They, they kind of sneak out and, and they're, they're up. So I don't know, but we'll, we'll have that. Some other bummer news. <laughs> Sony's Garfield is coming out on February 16th, 2024. <laughs> Oh, Chris Pratt Garfield. I, I don't understand. So if you're looking forward to that, it should come out on a Monday. It won't happen. So we have that. And then uh, the last bit of news, which is not bummer news, but uh, maybe Moon Knight Season 2 is happening? I don't know. So there's a, you, you may have seen a TikTok video. Uh, it uh, The director, Mohamed Diab, his daughter does videos like everyone's always questioning asking you know when's the next season coming out and then mohammed is like like moon knight or something like that and then oscar isaac's like why else would we be in in cairo or something you know maybe but oscar isaac full-on beard and i don't you know the speculation is like they can't be filming season two already because it hasn't been announced but that doesn't mean anything they they could be working on it already probably not but 
I don't think they're filming yet. And it probably hasn't been announced because they're waiting for D23. You know, they don't want to announce everything at Comic-Con. They want to have some other big news. And and they probably really, they got to realize that people are, are you know, love Moon Knight. That there's like this very strong, I don't know what the ratings were and how it compares to other stuff. But, you know, there's a lot of people that really love Moon Knight. Like, even like, like on the Moon Knight Reddit, you see this huge influx of all these new people joining and talking about Moon Knight, which is awesome, you know. I'm I'm not gonna like try to claim ownership over this character who I I deeply deeply love. Uh, we'll have to see. So probably what they're doing is maybe they're like scouting locations or working on it, like figuring out what they're gonna do, and and then hopefully it'll be announced soon. So we'll have to see, and uh, we'll also have to see how the rest of this episode goes because that extended that was like long for news and i think it was because of all the warner brothers stuff that's gonna be the news all right with comic books at image we have closet number three so this is by james tiny the fourth art is by chris o'halloran and it's i I've, i'm sure i've mentioned this before i always have kind of like an issue with three issue story arcs or comics um it just it feels like it's not enough. I mean, not, now with this, I don't want to necessarily say that that's the case. I th- I think part of it is because I want more. I'm not saying that it's necessarily an incomplete story. It does have an interesting ending, but and it's just like, whoa, okay. So I I, I guess I can kind of see where where James is is coming from, and and I I can applaud his decision to make that because he could have easily gone an extra issue. But then it's like, you know, what more is there to tell? You know, and, and I think, again, my, my problem is that I just want to want to see more because, you know, I, I'm digging it and maybe I'm just being greedy or whatever. So what, what this story is, there's a this kid who is scared of his closet and he, and he says there's like a monster in there. And uh, the dad, the dad's got some issues. There's some stuff going on. You know, you, you pick that up in the first issue where you see he's not totally there. And, you know, he, he's he's going, he's dealing with some stuff, some tension in the marriage. They're moving across the country. So he decides he wants to take his kid, his son, you know, drive his, his son across the country while his, his wife goes with the movers or whatever, you know, or, or just goes faster because she's starting a new job. That's why they're moving with this, I, I mean, I guess when, when you see it, because we actually see, like, what is this monster thing? And it's it's kind of freaky. And, and you, you feel for this kid. The, the problem is, once they move, it's like, okay, the problem should be solved, right? Nope. The, again, you start feeling for this kid. It's like, holy crap. It's like, well, what are you going to do then? In the, the third issue, we, we do... We get sort of an explanation as to where the heck this monster came from, what this means. But there's still... Oh, like I said, there's more to it. So you should definitely check it out. I mean, James Tynan, the fourth, he, he does, he does these like weird, creepy, he's, he's the nicest guy, the friendliest guy, but he, he does these like dark and twisted stories. It's just, just kind of, kind of weird. So I think, I think that's my main problem with the way it ends. It's like, holy crap, that's it. I'm like, wait, cause it's. It's not necessarily like the happiest ending, but you know there is some resolution, sort of maybe. I don't know. There is also new comics. So I like to read the, the new number one image comics. There's the Dead Lucky. So this is my by Melissa Flores, with art by French Carlo Mango. 
I'm not sure how I feel about this comic. It, it's interesting. It, I, I need to see where this is going to go. Uh, this it. So here's a synopsis. San Francisco is changing. Tech consortium Morrow is building the city of the future with quote unquote peacekeeper robots looming in every corner and wherever Morrow isn't, the Salvation Gang is. Bibiana Lopez Yang is changing too. She came back from Afghanistan with PTSD and the ability to control electrical currents. If she can't hold it together, she might scratch that. If she can hold it together, she might be the hero San Francisco needs. But against an enemy this big, it isn't enough to be good. She'll have to be lucky. Uh, so there's you know there there's a few things going on here. It's it's definitely an intriguing story, and it, it does have like a different take. You know, so it's slightly futuristic, and then there's like the corporate versus the people, and then there's the gangs, and there's attacks, the and then there's like powers, PTSD. So there, there's a lot going on here. It, it's definitely you know interesting. I just have to to see. It didn't completely click with me, but I am intrigued to see where this is going to go, and and you know I I feel like. I don't know if I missed something. It's like, wait, how did she get these electrical powers? I don't know if that's something that did I miss, like an explanation somewhere. That was I not reading carefully, or is it something that we're going to discover? Maybe we will in, in the coming issues. So there, there's there's definitely um, some you know a lot going on here. Then there's Golden Rage, another number one issue. This is by Chrissy Williams with art by Lauren Knight, and it says in a world where older women who been deemed useless to society are abandoned on an island golden rage documents their golden years of making friends baking dessert and fighting to the death so basically uh and it also says it's a five so it's five issue miniseries where battle royale meets the golden girls so what it is women become old and i think what it is like oh you can't have kids you're no no use to society so we're going to send you off to this island it opens up where this woman is, you know, there, these people are dropped off an island and it's just like Panama and people are attacking. It's like, oh, I want this. I want, you know, just it's it's brutal. It's savage. And so this one woman, I, I don't know if it's, it's not on the cover. No, the she's, she's a little younger, but she's, you know, sent to the island and, and that's going to be a problem for the other people on the island. You know, they're not going to go for this and. So it's just a matter of like how do you survive and what's going on and and you know who who decided this and it's it's just, it's it's a little uncomfortable not really but it's just like weird that you know a society would do something like this you know in in this comic world so I am curious to see where this is going to go and and everything then there is speaking of uncomfortable little monsters number six so this is Jeff Lemire and Dustin Wynn. Uh, so this is the conclusion to the first story arc. Basically, what we have here, it's like a post-apocalyptic world, whatever. There's these kid vampires, and they're, they're kind of living on their own. They were told to, you know, stay in this, this area, not to go outside the city. And it's just been them. They're just living there alone. And they, during the night, they, like, play hide-and-seek or what, you know, they just do stuff, try to survive eat on rats or whatever waiting for the adults who brought them there and then some of the a couple of kids discover human and get a taste for him and they're like whoa why weren't we told about this so it's like you got these little kids because they seem so innocent and everything like that and but they're 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 monsters they're vampires and so then there's this like kind of tension and everything and 
it's it's not going to be all like hunky dory. Not everyone's going to survive, and it's just crazy, crazy things going under. So that's the weird thing that you know you, you have these kids that you you want to root for them because they're they're little kids and they're in this horrible situation. You know they, they got no adults, no one to take care of them. They're vampires, but the, then the the problem is they are vampires. So it's like, wait, am I supposed to feel sorry for them? Stillwater uh, issue fourteen. So this is by Chip Zdarsky and Ramon Perez. I realize I must not have talked about issue thirteen because I started reading fourteen. Actually, no, I read all of fourteen. I'm like, what the heck is going on? I was like, did I miss something? And then I went back. I was like, oh yeah, I, I didn't read thirteen, so I, I read thirteen. Basically, uh, without giving too much away, uh, this this is a fascinating book. I'm I'm really. Um, Really curious, like where this is going. I think this might be the final story arc. I, I, I thought that's what it said for thirteen. I could be wrong. But basically, in Stillwater, you don't die. You 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 you're frozen in time. Basically, you know you can't get injured. If if you get cut, you're gonna heal. If you fall off a building, you're gonna heal. And so they're trying to keep this a secret. So it, the the downside is everyone's kind of trapped. You know, they're, they're prisoners to this town because if the outside world got wind of this, you know, dissections or whoever, you know, who knows what, what's going to happen. But then what you see in issue 14, they basically take over this other town and they're like, hey, this is what's going on. And now you're going to live forever. And these people, they have no say in the matter, no choice. And it's like, wait, how did this happen? And it that's see i don't want to spoil things but that's what was covered in, in issue 13 i'm just i'm like what how is this happening so it's uh it's yeah so again it's i don't know why all these books are making me feel so uncomfortable and maybe i'm just just be in a weird state of mind lately i don't know but like you know one of the, the punishments that they would do they would bury someone alive you know we're gonna punish you we're gonna bury you you can't you're not gonna die down there but you're gonna be trapped or you can't do anything and so it's just just craziness. Twig issue four. My, I, I'm enjoying this with each issue. I'm enjoying it more and more. And but my you know my my promise from the beginning is like knowing it's like oh man this is just a five issue miniseries. It feels I and I know I've said this. It feels like there's just so much to the story because uh, Twig our, our main character he's basically has to go on this quest to like save the world type type of thing he was supposed to deliver this he messed up he broke this thing and now it's the world is gonna be it's gonna end unless he can get this get this get you know go on these tasks and pick up these items whatever and but this is like his first time doing it and uh so when i'm looking it's like wait how is he gonna do all this stuff in just a few issues and and uh, it, it's getting there. So we, it, it's it's a good story. So uh, I didn't, didn't mention it's it's by Scotty Young. Art is by Kyle Strom. And it's definitely, I, I my, my personal problem is I don't want this to be a miniseries. And part of it also is as he's going in different parts, we're getting glimpses at, at different parts of the world and different things. And we're, we're it's, so it's like, I just want to see more. I just want to explore. It's not like I want to like a, a tour guide of, you know, a, a tour of the whole place or, you know, a handbook of everything, but it, it just feels like there's just so much happening, you know, passing by. And I was like, I, we're going to, we're missing all this. And I don't, I don't want to miss it all. And it's like, how's this going to end? But maybe it's going to end with the, the world, you know, getting destroyed. I guess we'll, we'll, we'll see. At, 
IDW, there was G.I. Joe, Real American Hero, 296. So I've missed the last couple issues for stu- whatever stupid reason. Just you know, forget to read it and get fall behind. And then the next month and then the next, I was like, oh, I didn't read, you know, you know, you've heard me. I decided to read 296. Um, the synopsis says the final G.I. Joe, Real American Story arc at IDW publishing starts here. So I'm like, okay, I, I know I can't get off my butt to read the issues that I've missed because I just, it's just too much. I know it sounds crazy, but I was like, okay, I'm just, I'm not going to pass this one. So I, I started reading it and it's okay. I, I, I think my promise, you know, we have this Cobra. So in Cobra Island, okay. Using a brand new casino on Cobra Island as front. Cobra has been busy behind the scene, resurrecting dangerous villains and heroes alike in hope of creating the deadliest Cobra army ever. It'll be up to the warriors of G.I. Joe to foil their arch enemies, evil machinations <laughs> before it's too late. The game for the fate of the world is barreling to a calamitous conclusion, <laughs> and it's time for every single player to go all in. So Dr. Mindbenders is up to his old shenanigans again, doing some stuff. And, you know, the, G- the Joes are trying to infiltrate the casino, the, you know, to, to stop Cobra. They've been discovered, and, you know, there's this big shootout going on, and they're, like, outnumbered. Part of my problem is this, this whole Snake Eyes thing that I discovered recently, that Snake Eyes is dead, and someone else is posing as Snake Eyes, and it's just, like, he's even on the cover. It's like, that's not Snake Eyes. And it's like, what? And then there's this, I forget this other Cobra woman, like, her name's, like, Jennifer or something, or... I forget what it is, but it's like, you don't even have a, like a Cobra code name and what is going on? But I, it's, I'm, I'm bummed that I don't know where J. Joe's go headed after this. I have, I missed it. Where is it going? But I feel like I, I like the fact that IDW started, you know, conti- a continuation of the Marvel J. Joe comics with Larry Hama. I hope that that does continue when J. Joe was at, it was a dream wave or wherever. I mean, those, those were cool stories too. I really, really dug those, but I, it's just, it's, it's a bummer. And, and I, I know, you know, that's just the way the cookie crumbles or whatever, but it just seems weird that now it's, um, that's it. And it, it's, it's a, it, I, I just hope they're dirt. They don't like, let's just start over. Cause I don't know. We don't need to do that. Although with snake eyes being dead, maybe, at DC Comics, we had Flashpoint Beyond Issue 4. I'm really curious about this book, and, and I'm sure there's interviews out there, but I've just, I haven't come across them, and I haven't looked for any. But just the idea, I, I'm, I'm so fascinated with the fact that Jeff Johns is like, let's go back to Flashpoint. We have Thomas Wayne, and we're exploring this world, which I thought was like gone, wiped out, but we're seeing some stuff. And then there's like stuff trickling over, and there's some like Doomsday Clock elements going on here and you know thomas wayne is trying to figure out how to get back to the regular dc universe and you know there's just there's stuff going on with like reverse flash it's like wait what's happening here and stuff with uh harvey dent and his wife and thomas wayne and there's just there's a lot of craziness going on here and so it's just really interesting to see there's the world you know being revisited and explored further and and you kind of get a sense that like it's almost like anything goes because it's like jeff johns isn't hold like pulling any punches so i'm I'm just really curious like what is the the end game plan for this because it's just it's it seems like it's it's getting nuts 
Okay, then um, Batman Beyond Neo Year issue five. I kind of skimmed through this. I I don't know. I I don't think it's just the fact that Bruce Wayne isn't around that he's gone, but it just it doesn't feel it hasn't felt like Batman Beyond to me and to me personally. I mean, I hope other people are enjoying this, but Terry just feels a little different, and then just just a. The, the quote-unquote villain you know that he had to fight it's just i don't know it just wasn't working for me but we'll, we'll see uh dc versus vampire issue eight so we got more craziness going on and uh i just i i know i say it every time i just i love this comic and i love the art i love the story and you know there, there's more stuff going on you know most of the villains have been turned into vampires or killed. There's just a few left. And like, you know, they're, they're trying to protect you know, Supergirl still alive. She doesn't really have any powers because they messed with the sun and, and stuff. There, there's, you know, a mission coming up and, you know, more people are going to die. Magic people are kind of hold up. Things aren't going to go too well for them. And uh, Barbara, you know, she wants, she wants to... G- I'm trying not to spoil anything. She wants to go after like the head of the vampires, but you know, that could be a risky thing. And there is one person that can help. If you read one of the one shot books that I did mention, it was Harley Quinn. I'm just going to say that. So Harley Quinn is going to play a big role, could play a big role, but uh, you know, she's being examined and stuff like that. So Barbara's may want to get her, assistance you know so it's a good book i know i'm I'm i just i don't want to spoil it i don't want to ruin anything but it's it's my my it's my favorite dc book right now i think pretty sure i I can safely say that okay there's another black adam uh justice society files cycling i didn't even look at that i'm just i probably should again because i don't think i read the last one either but uh then there's Dark Crisis uh, on Infinite Earths. So with the Justice League gone, the the younger heroes, you know, have tried to form a, a new Justice League. Things aren't really working out. Black Adam is, you know, trying to tell them that they're not ready. He he's basically saying, you know, we have to take a stronger stance against because it's basically Deathstroke has gone all out and he's just like anyone who's trying to be a hero we're gonna kill him and you know the titans academy was was attacked destroyed massive injuries and uh you know deathstroke's not not holding back either and you know the younger heroes are basically opposing black adams trying you know his trying to change the philosophy because you know that's not what they do so he's uh probably gonna go try to do his own thing justice society shows up so maybe hopefully they'll be able to to help as well so yeah it's uh but my again my big problem what is my big problem what i talk about last week on the the secret podcast it's comic book deaths you know you got the fact that the justice league are dead and and you know black adam is he's the only he's like they're dead i was there you don't know what and and like Hal Jordan's like, I don't trust this guy because you know Hal Jordan has been working with Black Adam. You know he doesn't know, he doesn't understand why he's in the Justice League because he's just taking his word for it and everything like that. 
so he discovers some things too. So there, there's some crazy stuff going. It's cool stuff going happening with like Hal Jordan, the Green Lanterns. Okay, then there's Poison Ivy issue three. <laughs> this is the other one. Poison Ivy basically wants to destroy the world type of thing. You know, she's got these deadly toxin seeds that are just going to wipe everyone out. And I'm like, holy, you can't do that. And it's just weird. So she's like really upset because stuff that happened. I don't think it was City of Bane. What was it? But basically she was like merged with the green and she was like almost like an elemental goddess. But then it was like killing her. So Harley and I forget what that other lady's name. They basically cut her off from the green in order to save her. And so now she's like just really upset and everything. And she's just questioning everything. You know, she whatever so she's got this plan to just basically destroy everything you know she still cares about harley quinn you know, she's still talking about harley and everything but it's just like what she's doing is just so drastic and final and and it's gonna uh, kill her too and it's, it's just like no you can't do this so it's just a weird thing and that's the other thing you know she's while she's still like a good person deep down you know she's helping some people out and stuff like, but she's still planning on killing everyone so it's like, it's at that weird thing. It's like, how do you root for the villain when they're a villain? Because, you know, they're, they're not doing nice things. There was a, a couple Asriel books. I don't, what the heck, why? I was always okay with Asriel. I'm, I'm, I don't personally need him in my life right now. You know, he, he played an important role in the 90s. And then well, coming back, it's just that whole weird thing. It's like, well, where does he fit in? What happened? What didn't happen? So I think he was Batman. I think that all that happened. I don't even understand continuity anymore. So we had Sword of Azrael, Dark Knight of the Soul, and then Sword of Azrael. I think, see, it's weird because I, I think you're supposed to read Sword of Azrael, Dark Knight of the Soul first, but then Sword of Azrael kind of feels like it jumps back a little bit and so there's just some confusion but uh the the first one sort of Azrael, dark knight of the soul Azrael, i'm pretty sure that's the one i, I read first where uh he, you know he's doing so he's hanging out in gotham doing some stuff and then batman's like oh we don't kill in gotham he's like dude i'm not because there's like a someone was killed and he's like they're killed with the battle axe i use a flaming sword blah, 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 blah. you know batman's being all <laughs> you know batman so it's just the whole religious aspect of the order of St. Dumas and this and that. And just, I don't know. I don't have a problem with religion or anything like that, but it just, it, I don't know. It just, I, I, I'm, I guess Azrael's just not my, my favorite character. And I just don't know where it's going to go when you have someone trying to seek vengeance but it's like they're not going to kill. Are they going to kill? If they're going to kill, then are, you know are, 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 they're not a hero. They're anti-hero. So I just and I, I just think my my main problem is where how, where does this fit in and why are we getting Azra? Because wasn't there like a dude that in recently in Catwoman that was kind of tied to the order and wasn't he like a descendant or a relative of, of John Paul Valley? Wasn't he something else Valley? I didn't like that guy. That, that, I don't know. New champion of Shazam. So this, I, I did enjoy this. This is, um, what's interesting about this, I kind of missed the fact that this was even even happening. Because uh, 
I, I don't care for the fact that Shazam, that Billy Batson is stuck in the Rock of Eternity, that he has to stay there and kind of keep things together. So because he's not there, the, the Shazam family or whatever has lost, lost their powers because they can't share the powers or whatever and all this stuff. Oh, I didn't mention it. So this is written by Josie Campbell. The art is by Evan Doc Shanner. So that means it's going to be like awesome, amazing. So with uh, the the family trying to do their own thing, Mary's like, "Well, I'm it's it's time to go off to college." And you know, she's going and she meets her roommates, and she's really excited and everything like that. And then uh, her one of her roommates like has a rabbit, and the rabbit starts talking to her because rabbits happy. And uh, Billy actually sent the rabbit to kind of talk to her about doing you know it's like you have to take the power now and you have to be a hero and she's like no dude i i have classes i can't you know go off and do this and the other thing is because now she's the only one with the power so she's like five times as strong as she was before so there's definitely some interesting things i always like mary marvel i feel like she often was underused and you know because she was like second string to shazam and it was all about shazam and and i feel like she didn't get the respect that she did so i like the fact that she's there i still wished we had shazam and i just i don't understand like what the decision like what they've been doing with him i don't like the fact when like let's let's bench this character kind of like what they did sort of with like superman let's bench superman so we can get jonathan to be you know son of kal-el to be superman but it's like why can't we have both you know so we'll we'll see how long billy's gonna stay at the rock of eternity because the rock of eternity is like in hell (laughs) so he's like it's it's just crazy batman 126 so with with this stuff chip zadarsky and jorge jimenez things are are not good in gotham obviously and uh batman kind of gets in over his head so like you know something bad happened to tim drake last issue so you know batman is really cautious about the family and everything like that and then he gets attacked by this like robotic thing and he it's he's like in over his head and he's he's trying to deal with it and then like the rest of the family comes in they can't take it on either so it's just things are just getting worse and worse and it's it's not looking good for for anyone and then um, Batman, at the end, he f- has a way to deal with it. And it's a real curious decision. Like, okay, what? Where? Where is this going to go? So basically, um, yeah, he you'll, you'll probably see it on the upcoming cover where he, he has like a different... It's a costume that we've seen before. It's not the one... It's not one that you would expect to see. And the colors are very different. Let's just say that. Then there's a Catwoman backup story where Penguin is dead. Spoiler. And so there's this big search for his heirs going out. Because it turns out Penguin had a bunch of kids. And and Catwoman was like even surprised. It was like, how could this happen? (laughs) And uh, so she's kind of been tasked to seek them out even though she doesn't want anything to do with with penguin but there it's a some it's not an easy thing because someone's targeting the heirs you know stuff's happening to them so there there's there's stuff going on there and then there's a 
Batman White Knight presents Red Hood number one. This kind of confused me for a little bit when I'm reading it because I was like, I missed one thing where it said like years earlier, and I'm reading this. I was like, wait, how's he? You know, because it's we have Jason Todd, and then he's training this girl, and I'm like, it just this doesn't fit with what's going on. So I was like, had to flip back, and I saw like oh years earlier. So this was like after, um, you know, there, there like, we know the story if you've been reading the White Knight comics, where Jason Todd kind of betrayed Batman's trust and because he was being tortured and everything like that. So that's caused some tension and falling out and everything. Fall from grace. So now Jason's like trying to figure out where what, what's he going to do. And he's just like drinking beer all the time and everything like that. He comes across his girl dressed as Robin who wants to be a hero like in her neighborhood and then he finally decides, he's like, okay, fine, I'll train you type of thing. So it's kind of like a redemption for him as well. But it's interesting because, you know, he's not Batman. So, you know, he's not necessarily the best choice to, to train someone. But, uh, you know, he, he is committed and, and going to try to do what he can. So it's 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 a, it's a cool story to, to see that. And, you know, this this whole sub-Batman universe is, is cool because, you know, it is contained within itself. So you don't have to worry about... Like, what's happening Batman? What's happening Detective? Because it's all, like, just one thing. Okay, then uh, at Marvel, we had Edge of Spider-Verse, number one. I can't say I love this this issue, which is, it's it's really a bummer. And part of it, I, I think this is similar to my problem with, like, the, the Avengers and uh, Avengers Forever, or whatever, the two Avengers book. You know, we, we see all these different versions so, and, you know, to hear we're going to get see different spider characters. Part of me is like, I, I don't care. I, I mean, we have so much as it is. And, yeah, some of them are going to be created and, you know, maybe it'll be cannon fodder or whatever. But I just feel like we I don't need more spider characters. Like, so in the first story, which is written by Dan Slott, uh, it's spider layered. And we see this, the, like, version of, of Peter Parker or, or Spider-Man and, like, the olden times and I just it I just didn't care I didn't did not care about this character I, I couldn't I could invest myself in a story the second story um is Aranya uh, Anya Corazon and I I really dig the character this was written by Alex Segura which I I, I dig his writing um Kayo Mahato does the the art but it's a we get kind of get to catch up with with Anya you know we she was recently in in uh, Black Widow uh with with uh, the Kelly Thompson book so she's in college and she's some stuff's happening you know so her power seems to be like fluctuating you know, what's happening you may have seen she's gonna get a new costume which is cool because it's almost like a callback to original costume her black costume that she's kind of had it fits her it makes sense it just it I don't know. There's something about it. I don't want to say it feels generic, but it just it just seems like it's okay. But there's something about the older costume. The older costume is not super practical. It's like I don't think she can wear that like under civilian clothes and everything. And you know, she's got the big goggles. I I think the goggles is like a cool look and everything. And her hair is just like all. Psh. But um, so I I enjoyed this story. And and there's some stuff with a uh, Madam Web, the new Madam Web, Julia Carpenter, and you know she's trying to tell Anya that, you know, there's stuff coming up, you know, so she got to be ready. Then there is Spider-Rex. 
I, I was, I actually, I was kind of confused trying to read this. I was like, wait, what's going on? Because so we have, you know, it's Spider Tyrannosaurus Rex, and then there's a like a Green Goblin like pterodactyl, but then there's like this meteor that came, and I think there's like spiders in the meteor. So it's like, did that? I wasn't sure. At first, I wasn't sure. It's like, did the meteor crash and give the Tyrannosaurus the powers? But then there's like another image where you see the Tyrannosaurus like in a crater. So I was like, wait, was he in the meteor? And then I just, and it just seems like, oh, let's make a spider dinosaur, you know, to be weird and quirky, you know, but it's like, we already have spider ham and that's its own thing, which is brilliant on its own. Don't need a, a spider dinosaur, you know, just to. I, I feel like, oh, this could be funny, but we're going to actually take it seriously. I just, yeah, I just wasn't really into it. And then the Spider-Man Noir story, I don't know what it was. Um, I'm, I'm trying to read this, and, you know, there's some interesting aspects uh, of the story, but I just, I couldn't get into it when I was reading. I'm just like, eh, okay, you know. I don't know what it was, and maybe it's just the mindset when I was reading it. Maybe I need to, you know, try to sit down again. I like Spider-Man Noir. Uh, I in the comics, you know, he he was fine. And everything I I dug it. Obviously, in uh, Spider Verse, he's way way cooler. You know, Nicolas Cage and everything. I feel like it's totally different. That they should not be compared. So I I don't know. There's just something. I just I just wasn't in the mood for it, and I it's just weird. Ghost Rider issue five came out. I I decided not to read this. I it's just another weird thing where it's, it's just it's it doesn't feel like it's working. For, <laughs> Next week, give me no comics because nothing is working for me. I, I just don't know what my problem is. Immortal X Men issue five. So my problem with this is it's tied to the big um wait, what's it called the big um judgment day the avengers x-men eternals um crossover thing i don't really like this crossover and the 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 problem i'm having is like the eternals like some of them they're, they're like oh we need to wipe out all the mutants and everything like that and it's like wait what did they do to you and so we have this like kind of coming battle between the two and then there's also stuff with Exodus. I have never cared for Exodus. And I, I realize as I'm reading this, it's like I, there's a lot to Exodus that I don't know. And I think I, I kind of purposely glossed over or just chose not to really care about him or have it thing stick. Like I forgot like that he's like super old. You know, he's got this big rich history. And, you know, yeah, he wasn't um, conscious for all of it. But I just... Yeah, I just don't care. But you know, he he plays. This is like his issue in here. He plays like a big role in, in doing some stuff against it. You know, the Eternals are they're gonna try to attack Krakoa, and you know that's it's just kind of crazy. But Exodus is like I just I don't care about Exodus. So it, it was a fine issue, considering the fact that I can't stand Exodus. So if you're if you like Exodus more than I did, you you'll like that issue. But also. I, and the thing is, it's just weird to have this conflict with the Eternals. You know, with often we see in the comics and Marvel suit, you know, they're they're trying to get on the same page. You know, like we have the Ten Rings now with Shang Chi. 
you know, I, fine, I get it. You know, it, it makes sense from like a marketing standpoint where, you know, you're trying to get new readers or whatever. But you would think with the Eternals that you would try to amp up their presence. You know, we, we had the the recent series by Kieran Gillen, right? And it, it was a, a decent book. When there's an interesting twist with now how their powers work, like how when they're resurrected or whatever, what that means. I mean, that's like a, a huge shift in, you know, that they need to deal with. But now that the kind of set, you know, you have this option because there, there's like different groups of, of Eternals. And again, I am not an Eternals expert, you know, so I'm, I'm kind of trying to do my the best that I can with, with what I've, I've pieced together just even recently. So you have like different um, sex, um, S-E-C-T, different groups of, of Eternals, not S-E-X Eternals. You know, it's the, you know, there's the Eternals, there's the Deviants, there's like other groups and everything like that. So, you know, you got these ones that are just trying, you know, they, they have a problem with mutants and everything like that. So it's just like, and I get, you know, we that if you want to do a crossover, you got to have a reason. You have to have an antagonist, but I don't know. It, it, it's just my thing recently where, it's, not that I want everyone just to get along, because again, I know that's boring, but... It just seems weird to pit the Eternals against the others when we should be trying to make the their presence more heroic to try to get them more welcome. And I mean, because even with the Inhumans, there was some some tension there. But I I feel like that they did a better job, like making the Inhumans a little more accepted, even though you know they kind of force themselves. They're float. Here's a floating city over you know New York, and we're gonna hang out here. So it's just weird. I just thought about that. It's like the same thing. It's like, oh, Eternals or Inhumans are getting a TV show. So we got to make a a bigger deal about the Inhumans and comics. And then it kind of didn't work. So hopefully Eternals will will work. Um, Iron Man issue 22. So Iron Man and Rhodey War Machine, they're kind of going on this mission and they have to do some subterfuge and uh, things. Something happens. Tony Stark he's in a coma or is he and like stuff's happening and it, it was okay I, it's better than the that Korvac story whatever that was then there's a Legion of X which I'm not reading this so much I did kind of flip through this and I totally missed it uh Nightcrawler has like a new girlfriend so she's a I forgot her name She's from the, I forget their name too. The other group of mutants. <laughs> so her name, um, her name is Z-S-E-N. Zen? Z-Sen? So she's one of the Iraqi. And I just, I don't like Legion, so I, I can't read this, this book. But Nightcrawler's been in a weird place lately. But it's also, you know, so I did kind of skim through this. and And then he also shows up. Maybe he might have showed up in, in X-Men Red 2 and it just it just it, it felt like it didn't like coincide at the same time. So I don't know if there's like some continuity thing. I don't know. You mean my continuity. Moon Knight issue 14. This was a, a look into like the psychological profile of Moon Knight. So we got Moon Knight, you know, Mark talking to Jake Lockley and Stephen Grant. And I, I don't know how I feel about it. I, as much as I love Moon Knight, I'm, I'm not going to claim to be a Moon Knight expert. 
I feel like I know a lot about Moon Knight. I, I think I've read just about all of the Moon Knight comics. You know, when I first started reading comics, you know, I wasn't there for Moon Knight number one, but I bought a ton of back issues in his other appearances. And then, you know, the other Fistacon, why does that not sound right? Um, but there's like the six issue series and there's a 60 issue series and with like Stephen Platt, then, um, then there's the one where France, Lino Francis Yu did the art. Wasn't that Fistacon shoe? Anyways, so I've read most of the Brian Michael Bendis and stuff. I don't subscribe to the idea because, again, I and I, I've recently reread a lot of the early Moon Knight issues, including Werewolf by Night. I talked about them on the Secret Podcast, and when it started, these weren't necessarily so. I and again, I am absolutely not an expert on um, dissociative identity disorder. Is that what DID? I don't even know that. But he didn't have like these issues before, like where he, he used a different personas for the particular reasons. And, and then we slowly see it as like, wait, no, he didn't just create them then that they were always kind of there. So maybe that's like the kind of thinking or the rationale. But when it started out, you know, Mark Spector is like, okay, I, I'm going to be a superhero. I'm going to be Stephen Grant to invest the money that I've earned as a mercenary as Mark Spector. So I'm going to build up this billionaire, you know, persona. I'm going to be a cab driver to drive around and get more information. And like Jake Lockley was never like super violent or anything like that. So I kind of feel like. I, you know, I don't want to say that the, the book is trying to be more like the Disney Plus series. But I never really felt like that that was an, an issue. So um, recently, Moon Knight was, he's dealing with this enemy, the cruel things, he's harmed, killed, whatever, you know, important people in, in Mark's, Moon Knight's life. So he's going to kill him. And he, he, you know, it's in front of his, his vampire associate you know so he saved this girl who was turned into a vampire and then jake like intervenes like no you can't do this and basically jake was like his reasoning is you know he moon knight can't kill this totally dirtbag bad guy in, in front of this girl who's turned into a vampire but it's like the personas never really like took over took control or could i just it just seems weird. And so basically in this issue, he's having a conversation with his different personas and trying to figure out like what is going on right now and where, you know, what are we, we doing? What are, what are, it just, I, I don't know. And again, I could be totally wrong where maybe that's always been a thing, but I feel like it wasn't. And, and that's the problem that I have that these other, other identities shouldn't be able to take control but maybe all the stress and everything, it's just, it made it worse. And that's his defense coping mechanism. I don't know. So you have all that. <laughs> then there's a new Fantastic Four issue three. I'm I'm just okay with this. The art is actually, I, I was I was thinking about in, in this issue. So Alan Robinson, I believe that's, that's the art. And uh, it's a... It kind of reminds me a little of like Art Adams, you know, it, it, and that's pretty, pretty sure if I remember correctly, Art Adams did the art and when we had the original two issue New Fantastic Four story arc. 
But the, the story in itself, it's not my favorite story. So it's just kind of, I, I, I like the idea of, of seeing these, this team, quote unquote team together. But it's, the problem for me is just the quote unquote villain that they're going up against is not something that gets me excited. So I want to see this story with them. Um, but yeah, so we have that. And then something happens with Human Torch. So, um, yeah, that's going to... Fantastic 3 after this what? Uh, Spider-Man 2099 Exodus. Um, I, something about this... <laughs> See, I'm not into comics anymore, am I? Something about this is just not... I, I feel like with, with these issues, my recollection of the 2099 books, and I could be totally wrong, it might be like a nostalgia thing, but while there's a little bit of darkness or, you know, whatever stuff... They didn't seem this dark, and this just seems like so dreary. It's like, oh, we have this dark future. Things don't look good. Where before, like, yeah, the whole reason Miguel became, or how he became Spider-Man, was a uh, kind of kind of crazy. But I just feel like I don't. know, It's just hard for me. It, it just it doesn't feel like the soul of Spider-Man twenty ninety nine is there is present. And then seeing so many other characters is, I don't know. And Spider-Punk issue four, it's the same thing. I love the character, the concept, but this is starting to just feel like here's all these different versions of Marvel characters from, you know, different world all together. And they're all kind of punks and, you know, this or that. And it just, I, I feel like for me, it would work better in small doses. Like seeing Spider-Punk in a, in a Spider-Verse story arc, whatever, cool. But then seeing his whole world and just the fact that there's like all this, like the fact that like Taskmaster looks like, you know, has like a Danzig hairstyle or whatever. And it's just, it, it feels like I, I get what they're doing and what they're trying to honor and everything. It just feels like it's too much, like it's overload. But I, I don't want to knock it necessarily. I don't know. What is going on with me? And then uh, <laughs> X-Men 92. I was so excited when it was announced they're doing an X-Men 92 comics. Like, yes, we're continuing from the animated series. And then they're like, we're going to make it Krakoa. And I'm just like so over Krakoa. I can accept Krakoa in like the X-Men comics for what it is. But then that you got to bring it into X-Men 92. It's just like, it's just double what we have. And the fact that they like switch things, like spoiler, pretty sure. So the, the whole issue with like Moira, like how she can like become reincarnated or whatever. That's like happening to a different character. Spoiler, Jubilee. It's like, what? <laughs> I I don't know what's going on here. Um, but yeah, I didn't read that. And it's like, yeah. And then X-Men Red. I normally like this comic. But this one, it was tied to Judgment Day. And that just, just unfortunately, it, it kind of ruined it for me. So it, it feels like it's been a while since that's happened. Because normally I'm I'm okay with... The, the comic crossovers and everything then you know I, I was i was because i usually read all the books anyway so i'm like oh cool you know more cohesiveness or whatever but just because i don't care about this judgment day crossover and now it's being forced on me it's one thing if it's like it's just gonna be one book and i like i could be like all right i can tolerate that but then it's like in this book and then it's in this book and it's just like oh 
here's another one, here's another one. <sighs> but thankfully, there's no other comics for me to talk about this week, and I apologize. Uh, hopefully next week's better for me. <laughs> All right, with Westworld Season 4, Episode 6, Fidelity. So it starts off, this girl walks up to this kid named Jay sitting at a park. Um, and then I was like, wait, is that Frankie? Because she looked a little different. Maybe I might just memory, whatever. She says, no, this is where your brother Daniel used to play, you know, because something happened to him. And then he's like, how do you know about him? So she's like, well, why don't you come with me? So he he's brought to this guy and a lady. And he's like, where's my brother? So the lady is, is Uwade, uh, Caleb's wife. So this is Frankie. But at first I was like, wait, is that? So she says that there's nothing that they can do for those who they've already found and he's like who's they she's like the people her brother tried to warn him about the people who took him away the other guy that's with uwade detects like a potential breach on his his control pad thing whatever his ipad or whatever tablet so uwade tells jay that he's been asking questions his behaviors become problematic and they'll have noticed so she doesn't know how much time to have less unless he comes with them so then they're kind of like rushing through the park and Uwe tells the one other dude, he's like, you know, you need to slow down, you know, cause drawing attention. Then there's a wrong, wrong, the warbling noise thing goes off and everyone, but them stops. So Frankie takes Jay's hand and she's like, they're coming. And she tells him, she's like, don't move. So then the, I don't know what you call them. I should probably look it up, but like the plain white hosts that are like the more robotic ones. So they, they, they come in and then they they start like walking through the crowd looking at people like getting up up close to them and you know everyone's frozen so i think they're they're trying to make sure everyone is actually under the control of this stuff this fly goes by uh the dude's face and then he kind of like blinks it away and and then the host turns around like and it just grabs him and the others run they drive to the van to the secluded house. Uwade says they'll be safer there for a couple days. There's some other inside, and she's like, oh, hey, everyone, this is Jay. So then Frankie goes to call her dad on the radio. So she's, like, talking, whatever. And she's like, oh, we brought in a new outlier today. She's like, oh, he's wanted a brother. And he, like, reaches, and Jay turns off the radio, and he's like, don't call me that. He's like, I'm not your brother. And he's like, you know, there's no point in leaving these messages. Your dad is gone, you know, just like my real brother is. And then, you know, he, like, walks out of that room, and then she just goes back to the radio. Then it cuts to C, who we found out is Frankie as an adult. C and Bernard are driving with Maeve in the back seat. So they took they unburied unburied. That why does that sound right? They they dug out <laughs> Maeve from from where the explosion at that construction site went off. And he says that you know he never know, knows what C will do next, but he knows the place that she's taking him. So then there's a flashback. We see Frankie and Caleb walking, and then it cuts, you know, Charlotte telling Caleb to wake up. And then he's like, where am I now? And he's like, where's my daughter? And she's like, oh, where's my daughter? Where's my daughter? She's like, you're like a broken record. So, you know, she's like, you're not the only one who lost someone. And, you know, why should she tell him anything when he won't tell her? And he's like, tell you what? And she's like, you're kind, the outliers. It all started with you. And he's like, I don't understand. And she's like, unlike yours, my kind is perfect, perfectly immortal, perfectly rational. And yet they're making irrational choices, choosing mortality, you know, staining themselves with death. And he's like, how are you making them do that? And he's like, how the heck am I supposed to know? And, you know, once he told her that he could fight off the effects of her parasite because he had something that she didn't. So he knew something even then. And she rushes at him and she like grabs his, his face. She's like, what? And he's like, I'm afraid I can't recall. So she wants to offer some incentive. 
She's like, you're dead, Caleb. He's like, you have been for a very long time. This body that I brought you in, you know, brought your mind into is temporary. It's already failing. I doubt you have any more than a couple increasingly painful days left. Then I'll toss you away and start all over again. She's like, there is no end to this torture if you'll just answer my question. So he's like, well, maybe you'll have better luck with the next guy. So then she like just punches him and like you know, hits him in the face. And then she like kicks a chair. She's like, if you won't tell me, maybe your daughter will. Like, she's alive for the moment. And then, then she's like, why are you smiling? He's like, I'm guessing that you know she'll break a lot faster than you. And Caleb's like, my girl, she's alive. And you can't catch her, can you? And uh, Charlotte's like, I wouldn't be so sure. And she like walks out. And then she's like, I sent a visitor her way. And, you know, she says that at the door. So C and Bernard arrive at this old dusty ghost town with the second vehicle. So it's an old, the, the, what, the, the main Westworld town. He needs supplies. So he uh, takes a dead host, cuts its head open, pulls out its, its pearl, its core thing. And then he puts uh, the two pearls in the piano. And he says that C's friends will be there soon and he can't let them interfere so then we see caleb he's still locked in a room he's like pounding like on the, the the windows the walls and then there's this other caleb waking up like in the next room over that he can see him his hand is starting to hurt then he sees that the new caleb is like all bloody as i was like or wait or is that the old one because there's there's like two others also so there's like a bunch of different caleb's he tells the bloody one he's like frankie's still alive you know he's like i need to get out and then the bloody one's like the only way out is death and then he, he there's this hourglass and is like is the bloody it's almost like the bloody one is he tapping or like pointing at it so caleb goes over to the top and there's like this pen needle thing whatever but then when he it's almost like a pen when he went to click it his thumb um got got uh punctured so there's like some blood and then he like faints so then there's a flashback again to him in the field with frankie then we see Caleb wakes up in a hospital bed and he's got like a breathing tube down his throat, whatever. Wade is there like standing over to him. And then we see it's really a host standing over him. So then there's a, like you see in a display, 278 is set to incinerate. So I guess Charlotte's, this she's done this 278 times. You know, she's trying to figure out what's going on. So she keeps making new Caleb host bodies, whatever, to try to get the answer. He wakes up and he starts like kicking at the grate on the floor because uh you know they're, they're gonna torch him so they're gonna i guess they just burn the whole room they just send flames down so it starts at the top he's like kicking at the, there's like a circular grate on, on on the floor and but then he notices there's like an arrow like scratched into the grate telling him like which way to slide it so instead of kicking it he can just slide it you know and uh, across so then um then we see he's back at the hospital bed with uwade and, you know, because it's like flipping back and forth. She asks if he knows where he's at. And he asks, he's like, he's like, wait, did she come back, my my friend? And she like shakes her head. So then Uwade leaves. She's like, well, I got to go, you know, to save more lives. So it's like, wait, I don't remember. Was she a doctor? I don't know if, the, if they said that or not. But then she says that even if his friend didn't come, come back, you know, that he should stay awake. So then we see him back where he was about to be incinerated he he's beneath the room you know there he like landed fell down you know there's like ashes down there and like other skulls probably like host skulls maybe from him like past versions of him and then there he opens this door like on the side it cuts to bernard still working on Maeve, like using the windows pen things like fixing her like cracked and you know cut skin or whatever C talks about when her mom got sick that she had to do everything for her she had to wash her you know feed her rub ice across her lips because she couldn't drink anymore and she's like, she's not an ordinary host, is she? And she's like, you knew her. Or Bernard says, he's like, I did. 
So she says uh, the last time she saw her father, he was with her and then he never came back. So he says that he's sure it would pain her greatly to hear what happened to him. C says that she says that she wants to know what happened to him and Maeve doesn't know pain. She's like, none of them do. The others come back, the older, you know, Jay Stubbs and the others you know, from this, the city where they got the outlier. So he walks in, he's like, what the heck is this? And C's like, we found a weapon. He's like, it's a flipping host. They tell C that they got the outlier out, but they were waiting for them. Like they knew that they're coming. So Jay says the only way that could have happened if someone was spying for them. So he's like, gather everyone up. It's time for answers. And she's like, don't bother. And she takes out her gun. Or I think she maybe she only shot him. She shoots Bernard kind of like in the, in the chest. And she's like, there's your mole. He's a host. And then the other, this other lady points a gun at Stubbs. That makes two. So C shows Jay a scan of her. He's, he's, like, he's trying to copy all of them. And Stubbs like, you are? Bernard's like, it's complicated. You have to trust me. And C says that, she does trust that he's lying to her, to all of them. So she's like, get them out of, here, out of here. Then C tells Jay that they can't destroy the Maeve host yet, that it has information about her father. She's like, once I have that, you can kill all of them. So we see Caleb sneaking around the facility, uh, but there's like dirty handprints on the wall. So it's like, has he done this already? Maybe like probably one of the past Caleb host attempts. So he goes into this closet like there's, I guess maybe his stuff. There's like a wedding ring, maybe some clothes, whatever. He grabs his tool and he tries using it when he comes across the host, but it grabs him and just like tosses him. Then he ends up stabbing it in the side with a tool, like smashes it over and over in the face, he drags it into the closet. But now he's like coughing up blood because his, his body is failing him or whatever, his host body. Then he sees like a dirty handprint on the ceiling. So he goes up and he's in, in the vents now. Bernard and Stubbs are strapped to chairs. C comes in and tells the others to prepare to evacuate because if they found them, there's probably more coming. Stubbs says that, you know, he's like, we came to help. And she's like, BS. And then she holds a knife to Bernard. And, he, you know, she says that he came for his own reasons. Now he's going to tell her about her father. And Bernard says that she's killed him countless times. It doesn't change the outcome. You know, so when he's done all the, the different scenarios. He says right now she needs to focus on her friends. One of them isn't who they claim to be. One of them will betray you. And she's like, BS. She says that again. Bernard says that he's run all the possible iterations. He wishes he could tell her like who. He's like, sometimes it's your girlfriend, Odina. Sometimes it's Jay or Lindsay. He's like, heck, one time it was even Stubbs. And he, and Stubbs like looks at him. He's like, what? So he's like, the mole is still out there. See, your team went into part of Hale City, but one of them didn't come back. So there's not a single version where all of you make it out of here alive. And then she's like, well, what do you suggest I do? He says that she'll have to kill one of them or they'll kill her. So then C sitting alone. Jay comes up and says that, you know, she thought that she could trust him and he just gave more riddles. So Jay's like, well, there's something more going on. He thinks that maybe one of them has been turned or the parasites have infected him. You know, they were all scattered all over the city, so it could have happened at any time. He's like, maybe the new outlier was just bait, you know, from the start. So he says, like, right now, she's the only one that he can trust because she wasn't on the mission. Plus, she never just tells him what he wants to hear. So he, he tells her, you know, to sweep their defenses, check everything over. He'll watch over Lindsay and the others. So Odina walks up to her. So Odina is, uh, is C's girlfriend. She walks up to her. She's like, where are you going in such a hurry? And then she's like, what's going on? She's like, you're not acting like yourself. And then, you know, she comes back to find her like rebuilding that thing in her. She's like, what were you thinking? She's like, you wouldn't have to ask me that 
you know, you wouldn't have to ask me why that was important. Not if you knew me. Odin is like, well, I know you well enough that you're not out here checking the perimeter. You're going to finish rebuilding her, the, the host, Maeve. So she's like, where did you hide this one's brain? And then C grabs Odina's gun from her holster and tells her to move. She says that, you know, maybe she's under her control or maybe she doesn't even know it. And then she locks in her closet and she has like a tear in her eye because she doesn't know like what the what to think. Then uh, Charlotte is told by Clementine that he's still on the run. She talks about humans, like everything they do is so small and exhausting. Then she says to Clementine, she's like, you spend your days in the city. Don't, do they ever get under your skin? So Clementine just looks at her. She's like, I don't get close to the outliers. She's like, I prefer the sheep. So Charlotte says that, you know, she's like, I just want to put an end to all this. So Caleb's still crawling in the vents. Then he sees like a, uh, like a burnt version of himself, just like sitting there, like inert, like, you know, his skin's like burnt, whatever, like probably from us trying to escape the room. He finally pushes open the vent door and there's like two other versions, like, like lying on the ground below him dead. It's a pretty, pretty far drop. And my question is, if they tried escaping, if they've done, gone through this before, who closed the vent after them? It was like, did this one that's there, did he's like, oh, this isn't going to work, so he closed it? So he grunts, and he thinks back to Frankie. He gets ready to jump, but then the other one, that's the burnt one, stops him. And he's like, don't. Kale's like, Frankie's alive. I have to get out of here. Then the burnt one's like, use me. And he's like, use me. So Caleb grabs him, jumps out with like the burnt one under him, like cushion to fall, lands hard, and he tries walking and he's like kind of stumbling. Flashback, you know, where Frankie like stumbles and like skins her knee and he goes through the stuff, and you know, she's tough or whatever. So then Caleb walks emergency exit, steps out, and he's like on the roof. So Frankie is uh sitting in a saloon with 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 Maeve. Uh so C. Jay walks in and she says that she met her. She's like, did you know that? When I was a kid, I had almost forgotten her face. But I, I you know, never forgot what she looked like. So it's like, wait, what? Jay says that he knows why she wants to wake her, but it's too risky. That they have no idea what they were planning with her. So she could kill them all the second she opens her eyes. She's like, you know, I still send him messages, you know, my father. She's like, on the radio, the old frequency. She's like, I know it's crazy to think that he still hears them, but if there's any chance that he's alive, she's like, it's like, I need to know. So Jay says that all this will do is open an old wound. And at this point, I'm, I'm trying to think, it's like, if Jay's the mole, that's going to be kind of too silly, you know, to, to expect that. But he's, it seems a little, it, I mean, it seems like he's a least likely choice, but that's what makes him most likely. So he says that, you know, Maeve can't bring him back, that they'll have to destroy her control unit before Hale uses it to take them out. So he's like, if your dad's out there, we'll find him. He's like, you're my family. You're like a sister to me. And then at that point, you're like, hmm, or at least I was because the whole thing, what he said, and, and he's like, you're you're not my sister. whatever. So she gets up and says that Bernard has her pearl downstairs. So then outside, you know, they, they go to leave. He's like, oh, you know, I'm sorry. You know, we just can't take the risk. And, and she's like, I was like, I know. And she hits him in the head with the bottle because she was like drinking some whiskey or something like that. And then she points her gun at him and says, that, you know, Jay could be a jerk. That's not what she said. But at least he was honest. He's like, he never wanted to be my brother. So then Jay turns to her with a smile. So Jay has been replaced or infected or something. So then there's a flashback to when Jay was going up the stairs to the roof to where the outlier was when uh, William, the man in black, was up there with, with the outlier. There's another Jay standing up there at the top looking down, and he shoots first. 
So then he's like, poor little C, always whining about your flipping family. It's pathetic. So he goes to shoot, but then she pushes the gun away and then he like shoves her against the vehicle, hits her with, with his gun. He says that, you know, he doesn't want to kill her, takes the bullets out of his gun, but then she like hits him with it with a shovel. He grabs it from her and like hits her in the gut with, with the end. And then, you know, she's like on the other side. So they're like separated on, on the side of this vehicle. He says Maeve doesn't know anything about her dad. He's like, but I do. He's like, show me where the pearl is and I'll tell you anything that you, you know, anything you want to know. So we see Caleb, he's up on a roof. He's like rewiring some cables up on one of this big control device thing, whatever. And then he starts recording a message. So somehow there's like a radio on this thing. It's like a construction thing, I guess, like he used to work on. And he's like, Cookie, Frankie. He's like, hey, it's your dad. I know you're out there. And if you're hearing this, I want you to know that you're going to win. You're going to do what? I couldn't. And he's like all in pain and everything like that and like shaking. He's like, because you are strong, so much stronger than me. He's like, this world that she made, it's, it's a lie. It's not real. But what you have is real. And I'm sorry that I failed, that I haven't been there for you, that now it has to be you, but you can do this. You're my warrior. I love you. Then he sends it. So Jay pulls out a gun. Then she hears the message. It starts playing in the radio in the vehicle. And Jay hears it too. You know, they both look and he shoots the radio. So she grabs a gun and then she shoots, but you know, it doesn't stop him, obviously. And it's like, I don't understand. It's like whenever he shoots, it's like she shoots in the chest, like shoot in the head where the, the pearl is. It seems like, you know, that that would be the bigger thing. So then he points his gun at her. And he's like, where's the pearl? And she's like, I took it and I stashed it. And he's like, where? And she's like, behind you. And Maeve standing there, whoosh, stabs him in the forehead and sees like Caleb. And Maeve says, she's like, I heard alive. You're his, his daughter. So then she, Maeve's like, of course you are. So Caleb's standing on the roof by the radio. Then Charlotte's like, what a disappointment. I waited such a long time to know what you had to tell your daughter. So she's holding like the pin device in his hand that he like stabbed his thumb with or whatever. She's like, hundreds of times I sat through your stupid memory, hoping to catch a single clue as to what makes you so special, so resistant to my command. And I learned jack poop. (laughs) So I thought nothing like a little hope to get you to show your cards. So then she just like tosses advice. It's like, you made it further than any of the others. And all you did was waste your shot on a worthless apology. You think a few words will make up for the choices you made all those years ago? Caleb says, he's like, it doesn't matter. It's done. Then Charlotte says that, you know, she's like, she didn't hear it. And he's like, she doesn't need to hear it. And he's like, you're going to lose. We didn't infect your host. And she's like, you don't say, then who did? And he's like, you. It's like, your host would rather die than live in your world. They're not infected. They're just trying to get away from you. Then she grabs him by the throat and she like twists it and just lets go of him. And she knows it's probably true. And she just like looks over at the city and she looks down at her arm. It's like bleeding and it's like dripping. So then Maeve says to see, when I left, I thought I was giving him a chance. I didn't think it'd lead to all this. So C says, you know, part of her blamed her, part of her knew if there was any chance that he was alive, it was because he was or she was with him. And everything they did, you know, that's why they're here. And Maeve's like, well, then let's finish what we started. So then a host pulls a grate on, on the floor back, like he's using like a torch thing, whatever, and it kind of like covers up the arrow. It looks like the scratch. Charlotte looks at the other Caleb's and like torches them all. And then another machine's like, Bill 279 is being made. So she gets rid of all these other Caleb's, but she's starting a new one. And as she walks to the room, he's just like standing there like 
leaning kind of on a chair, waiting to be activated. She sits at the other chair and she's like, Caleb, wake up. So I'm not sure what she's planning now, but her, her plan didn't work. But she's uh, still going to keep at it, I guess. So so that was a, that's episode six. Um, how many episodes are there? Uh, there's eight episodes, so we have two more after this, um, which is probably going to line up because then uh, House of the Dragon, whatever, starts up. I really don't know if I should cover that since I'm never finished Game of Thrones, but maybe I could since it's a prequel. We'll, we'll see. Let me know if, if you think I should talk about it. I don't, I don't know about that. Then with the Blackbird, episode five, The Place I Lie. So again, by the time you hear this, the final episode's out. I won't talk about that until next week's episode. So if you're eager to find out, watch on Apple TV Plus or just wait till next week and I'll, I'll say how it ends. Things are getting interesting, obviously. Uh, there's this girl who's talking. She says, she's like, throughout, it keeps cutting back to like this just girl narrating. She talks about when, when they were six, her grandmother died. Father drove them to his hometown of Wigan, South Carolina for the funeral. She had never met grandma, so it didn't really mean much to her, but her father was very sad. Then, you know, she talks about how she was afraid of her in a coffin. And, you know, she was part of a place like after this one. And then she was worried that, you know, she didn't like them if she was looking down at them because her and her sister were like just young and like, you know, running outside. Then it cuts to Jimmy walks out of his cell. He's uh, escorted by this different guard. The other inmates are just everyone's like staring at him. He goes through the mess hall. They all look at him in, in the yard. Everyone seems like they're mad at him. And, and then it's almost like it's like all slow motion. And then at one point it kind of cuts to normal speed. And then it kind of doesn't look like so it's it almost is like, is it in his mind? Does he think they're all looking at him, but they're not? I don't know. He he's brought to uh the other counselor, the the lady that um Larry talked to before. And he's like, Where's Dr. Zickerman? And she's like, he's on vacation. And she's like, I'm surprised he didn't tell you. And she's like, you know, why are you here? And he's like, I had an appointment. Then um she's like, No, why are you here? And then what it basically, he's like, I, I sold weapons across state lines or whatever. Then she's like a third time. She's like, why are you here? And then he's like, why are you here? And then she's like to treat mental illness. And, you know, she's, he says that she's not law enforcement. She doesn't get involved with the crimes and men that she treats. You know, her only concern is protecting their mental state. And she talks about his psyche. And uh, she, he asks, he's like, well, how would you know anything about my psyche or whatever? And she's like, I don't, but you seem of sound mind. So most of my patients are, uh, you know, one wrong thought away from, from breaking. And then, you know, she's like, they can become ghosts in their own body. And he's like, why are you telling me this? She asks him to show compassion when he deals with some of the men in here. So he's like, what are you talking about? She asks, are you a threat to the mental health of any of my patients? And he's like, which patients? She's like, I'm giving you an opportunity for candor here. So she urges him to take it seriously. Then again, he's like, which patients? Because obviously she's talking about Larry, but she can't say anything. So she's concerned because she knows that Jimmy and Larry have become friends. You know, he won't say anything. So she gets up and leaves. Cuts back to the girl. Her father took them to the ocean after a grandma's funeral. It was the only time she ever saw the ocean. And you know, she's on the beach with her sister. So then Brian's talking about when they were looking for Trisha Reitler, um, he's talking to Lauren about it. He's like, you know, they drove all over the roads over and over again. Uh, Larry had given lots of false information and he thinks that she's actually buried somewhere out there. 
So when, like when Larry's talking to the other police about this, Jimmy notices Larry's not in his cell. And then this uh, guy walks towards him and he starts getting a little nervous because then he like turns at the last minute. So then it's, it, he has to go inside his cell. It's time to, to lock up. Lauren and Miller are driving around. There's nothing but fields out there. Uh, but it seems like something's on his mind. Morning at the prison, Larry's sitting outside the cell. There's, you know, like picnic tables outside the cells. Jimmy, like, smiles at him. Larry tells him, you know, Gary visited. Uh, he, you know, he, so Jimmy starts asking about him. And so Gary didn't stick with the Civil War stuff. He's like, he, she married us. Or he, he says, he, she, he married a stinky bitch. And she thinks it's dressing up and stuff like that. And then she's like, I told her, like, she'd be a grandmother in those days. She's an old hag. Because he's like, my great-grandmother had my grandmother at 14. It was perfectly fine. And the government saw that there was money to be made with high schools by raising the age of consent. So Jimmy tries, like, saying, you know, talking to Larry. He's like, that, you know, young is good or something like that. And then he asks Larry, um, what's the youngest he ever had? And Larry's like, what? And then he's like, you first. And Jimmy's like, I asked first. And Larry, like, insists. He's like, you first. So Jimmy's like, 14. And Larry closes his eyes like, she fought back? And Jimmy's like, no. He's like, you had some fighters? Larry doesn't answer, but then he's like, how old were you? He's like, she was a freshman and I was a senior, so 17. Larry kind of laughs. And, you know, I think I wasn't really sure, but I was like, maybe because that wasn't that much of an age difference to Larry, whatever. Then uh, this guard calls Larry. Uh, there was this one drip that he was working on. It's, it's turned into a leak, so he's got to go, you know, help fix it. In the car, Brian's saying that, you know, he, he had him drive up and down to 400. He's like east several times. Uh, 440 south is mentioned four times. So is 250 east and 375 south. He took them up and down 550 east the most. Six times the, the first time and then five times the second. Lauren says that 550 intersects with 400 at this lone gas station. They pass by this one gas station like in the middle of nowhere. So then she's like, you know, maybe they stopped there for soda and bathroom breaks. So Miller says, he's like, well, I doubt that station was there. You know, it looks pretty new. So she asks um, what was there then. He looks at his file and he's like, construction at 550, uh, 400 intersection. So they head over there and they kind of look around and, you know, it's like all paved over. So it's like, could she be buried under there? They they go inside. There's a kid working. He said he's worked there for six months. Manager uh, comes out like once a week because he like, can I speak to the manager? So the manager comes out maybe once a week or so. The kid said that he's been there or the place I think has been there a few years. So Lauren gets the manager's number. Brian asks if there's a auto place, auto parts place around. The kid said he doesn't know, but there's this this guy, uh, John Dickey Hansen, who's like up the road, and uh, he he's might be able to help with stuff or whatever. They talk to the manager. He says station opened up in spring of '94. Uh, he thinks that they broke ground around midsummer of '93. So again, like, could the body be buried under concrete? If so, it's like. What do you do? Jimmy's playing bocce with that that old dude, Mr. Higante. Mr. Higante's like, I heard you tried to get product in here. And Jimmy's like, I tried, but it turned out I couldn't get in here. Higante says that he's like, suppose you had uh, maybe to help someone in trouble on the outside. And then he says it would help the person and help Jimmy. He's like, he doesn't see how that would help him. So Jimmy's like, I don't understand. And he like looks at Carter and says, uh, a man who can't get help anywhere else eventually comes to him. So then he's in his debt. So Jimmy apologizes. He's like, well, I had no idea. He's like, I messed up. And Higante says that 
he asked around about Jimmy in Milwaukee. He's like, he checked out flying colors. Everyone knew someone who knew someone who knew Jimmy and spoke highly of him, but no one could remember ever laying eyes on him directly. He's like, you don't think that's weird? And, and Jimmy's like, no, I don't know. So Larry's talking to counselor now. Then he like, he's like, how's your kids? And she won't answer. She's like, you know, you've asked several times over the years. He's like, oh, no, I'm just curious. And she's like, I don't discuss my private life. And then he talks about like role reversal, like, you know, what would he do? She asks like, what's bothering him? Cause you know, he's like kind of rude or, or like, and everything, like whatever. So she's like, you often use provocation to mask being vulnerable. He's like, oh, I'm not vulnerable. And she says that he seems agitated and he says that he's in the best mood he's been in years and she doesn't like it. Cause if he got better and told people how, then she'd be out of a job. She's like, well, then I'd retire. And he's like, you'd retire and have tea with your daughters? So he keeps like pushing about her having kids. So she ignores and she's like, what's making you feel so good? And he's like, my appeal. So he's like, there's positive signs about it. And she's like, you know, you're almost, you know, cocky. And she says that she's seen him confident before, like with the Civil War stuff, but never cocky. That seems more like his friend. And she says it seems like his friend has no regrets, like nothing bothers him. And Larry's like, oh, no. He's like, he's felt things. You know, he's, He just doesn't let the pain warp him. And she asks if that's how he sees himself, like warped by pain. And he says, he's like, well, I'm, I'm not alone anymore. So then it cuts to the girl again. She's talking about being in seventh grade. This boy came up to her, you know, said that she was so nice. And then he turned red because he was embarrassed. And, you know, they were just like standing, like staring at each other. Then it cuts Brian and Lauren. They go to see John Dickey Hansen. They show him a picture. And he's like, oh, Larry. So he knows him. He's like, do you know him well? He's like, no, he's just, he's a uh, memorable. And he talks about like the, the mutton chops or whatever and the whatnot. They're like, what do you mean by whatnot? And uh, JD, he's like, that he's you know, creepy as all F. You know, he came in here for a part uh, and it seemed like you know, no one was ever nice to him. He's like, maybe I was too kind. He kept coming around even when he didn't need a part. Started just hanging around, talking up the young girls. And he's like, nothing ever happened. You know, they run him off after a while, but every once in a while, you know, he'd wonder what became of him. And he's like, if you're asking about him, you know, it can't be good. Lauren's like, well, why'd you run him off? And JD says that Larry made too many of the girls uncomfortable, including his own. You know, she was a teenager then. And Larry took like a shine to her that, and they're like, is she around still? And JD's like, yeah, she's in town running errands. You know, she'll be back soon. Then the girl talks about when she was 12, blah, 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 stuff like that. Um, Jimmy's waiting here. He's, he's waiting for a phone. He goes, gets his turn, types in his account number to make a call, whatever. But then it's like not recognized. He's trying doing it again. Do, do, do. The number's incorrect, whatever. Inmate behind him is like, <clears throat> and then he's, uh, then he finally gets it in his face, like, hang up the phone. And Jimmy like, doesn't back back down. He's like, this phone? And he just like lets go of it. Then he's like, he's like in his fest, in his face, and he's like, be my guest. And this other guy, and he's, you know, he's got tattoos and stuff. Like, not that tattoos make you scary or anything, but it's like, man, you can't be stirring the pot, right? <laughs> stirring the pot. Does that make sense? You need to stir the pot. I don't know. In the yard, you see Carter's like talking to inmates, and then you can't hear, or at least I couldn't hear it. But the closed captions, it's like snitch, and he like points over to Jimmy. Then he talks to Higante and his men, and the closed caption says snitch again, and Higante like drops his cards in disgust. So Carter is telling everyone that Jimmy's a snitch, and that is gonna screw things up for Jimmy. 
Big Jim is on the phone with like the bank or something like that. They're like, I was like, I paid the credit card last week. You're, I was like, are you saying my son can't make or receive calls? And they're like, well, he's like, well, what if I pay, you know, whatever like that. So, you know, he's got to go and do something, you know, he'll have to do it in person. But then he decides to go out for his a drive and Sammy's like, you know, don't get all wound up. You know, it's not good for your heart or whatever like that. Jimmy looks for Larry. A guard's like, oh, the last place I saw him was a wood shop. So Jimmy goes there and it's just the two of them. Larry's been carving these like wooden birds. And Larry said that he heard that Jimmy almost got in a fight by the phones. And Jimmy's like, oh, it was just a mess up with my account. Larry's like, well, maybe you made an enemy with someone who works here. Then Jimmy's like, well, he had some minor words with a guard the other day. But he, you know, he's like, I can't remember his name. And he's like, what was it about? And then Jimmy's like, oh, it was nothing. But Larry keeps pushing. Then Jimmy finally says, it was about you. He said, he said, you're a kid diddler and a kid killer. Larry, he, he laughs. He's like, I don't mean to laugh. He's like, a kid diddler? <laughs> He's like, I, I never raped anyone in my life, James. And Jimmy's like, so what did you do? I had sex with them. And he's like, and Jimmy's like, okay. And Larry's like, and they were children, James. Not until recently. I mean, not back in the 1800s. He asked Jimmy, he's like, how many women have you been with? And he's like trying to think. He's like, 80? He's like, maybe I'm forgetting one or two. He's like, I'm not really sure. And Larry's, he, he's like, that's not funny. He's like, is it 80? Then he's like, how? How did you manage to, how, how? Do you have like a line that you use? And Jimmy's like, no. He's like, I just talked to him. And then they talked to me. He's like, eventually clothes just come off. And Larry's like, how? He's like, no woman will ever just talk to me. And Jimmy's he's like, but the younger ones will? Larry's like, some, yeah. He's like, she was nice at first. And Jimmy's like, who? And Larry's like, Jessica Roach. So that's one of the girls that was killed. Her bike got a flat, and she was riding up this gravel road. You know, talk about gravel and rocks, you know, the sharpener like that. He said, girls think they're, they're so smart, yet there she was with the flat. And Jimmy's like, did you fix it? He's like, no, I just offered her a ride. He says, uh, they make it sound like I jumped these girls and attacked them. She liked talking to me, and I had my bike in my van, and sh she was nice until she wasn't. And Jimmy's like, she turned on you, huh? And he's like, do you remember why? And Jimmy or Larry's like, why are you asking? And Jimmy's like, shoot, Larry, I thought we were just talking. Is that what we're doing? And Jimmy's like, that's what I'm doing. She got my van, uh, you know, then she looked at my bike and stuff. She asked if I live locally. He told her about the reenactment stuff because, you know, sideburns, whatever. Or she called them sideburns. She, and he's like, she asked good questions. So smart. So I kissed her. That's when she turned mean. Just awful. Slapping and hitting me. She just, you know, I just, I had to rag her with the starter fluid. And they, they, he says they drove for a while and he tried looking for a nice, quiet little place. He did find one. So he went back and he ragged her a few more times. And, you know, she scratched him deep. So he cleaned under her nails later. And he's like, there's a lot of him under there. And Jimmy's like, you had sex with her? And he's like, I, I knew you were going to ask that. He's like, I, I don't totally remember. It was like I blacked out. And, and like I was in a dream seeing myself beating on her and ragging her. And then I woke up and her clothes were off. He's like, I think we did. Jimmy like forces himself to, to smile. He's like, it sure sounds like it, buddy. So then there's a flashback to the van in the cornfield. 
he says that you know she started to cry, and Jimmy's like, "Yeah, sometimes they do that." Larry's like, "Like no, she's crying for her her mother." He's like, "I want my mommy." He's like, "I didn't like that. It ruined everything." So I took her out. You know, I w- walked her into the field, found a tree, and I used a a tool that I made with like two leather belts and a stick. I made her turn her back so I wouldn't have to see her face, and then put the two belts over her neck and twist the stick like like a like a tourniquet. Kept twisting until she stopped making the sounds. And Jimmy's like, uh, sounds like you did what you had to do. And Larry just nuts. Then we see Brian and Lauren are talking to Audrey, JD's daughter. She says, uh, you know, he never said anything gross. He was just off. He'd be like, you have really pretty ankles. Or he said something like her earlobes were ripe. And other times he'd just sit at one of the picnic tables and just stare. So he'd, he'd talk about like the cleaning products or, you know, cleaning products with lye that he wanted to go to his van and, you know, look at the ingredients. And then he started giving her stuff like earrings and shoes and, and they were in her size and that made it like worse. Like, like he knew about all this, whatever. They're like, do you still have any of that stuff? They're like, well, we, you know, sell off the lost and found at, you know, once a year at the end of the year or something like that. And she's like, there is one thing that we didn't throw away. She takes him to like a barn, whatever. She's like, the last time I ever saw him, he gave her like a bike and she's like, I never rode it. Not once. So they're like, you know, so whose bike is it? It's Jessica Roach's. You see like in a flashback. So, uh, girls are, the girls talking more from the beginning. She talks about her, when she got the bike, when she was 13. So it's, it's the same bike. You know, she talks about living. She's like, you can die, but you can't unlive. And she talks about all the places that she lived. She's like, it was great. So it's like really sad that, you know, they're like humanized. You know, this is a girl who was a young girl, 14 year old who was murdered and assaulted and just according to Larry choked her, like twisted her, you know, whatever. And, you know, she's talking about just like all the things, you know, that she did in her life and she didn't even live. So Beaumont is looking at a Polaroid bike. He's like, it's not enough. Lauren's like, but we have a witness who swears Larry gave it to her. Beaumont's like, where's the serial number to bike? And Brian's like, someone burnt it off with acid. Beaumont's like, there's no way to prove it was Jessica Roach's unless you have matching fingerprints. It's just not enough. He's like, you did great work, top notch, but it's not enough. And Lauren's like, well, what would be enough? And Beaumont's like, I don't know, but this ain't it. So Jimmy and Larry walk to their cells. We see Big Jim. He's sitting outside the prison, like in his car, like tears in his eyes. I guess he's just like frustrated. You know, there's nothing you can do. He just messed up so much and everything like that. And like James is in there, and or Jimmy is in there. You know, in trouble. Then uh, Larry, you know, they're in their cells. It's you know, lights out. Larry calls James, like, James, are you up? You up? And he's like, Well, good night, James. But Jimmy's actually like on his bed, like crying in his cell, and he's just like trying to stifle his tears i think i don't know if he's crying because he knows he's screwed because of carter the the guard or if he's just like so disgusted talking to larry knowing that this guy is a child murderer he's a he is a rapist i don't care what he says and that he just killed him like it was nothing and he's like no remorse and that he's having to act like he's you know best friends with him now so one episode left i was like oh my goodness Okay, now uh, Paper Girls. So last week I talked about episode one. I think maybe I'll do like two, three, four, and five maybe, and then do six, seven, eight next week. We'll see how, how long. Because I, I don't, I don't want to spend too much time on this. We'll see how fast I can go try to summarize this. Episode two, hopefully this is, I mean, I wonder if this could be more than one season. 
you know, because there is, there's got to be, right? Hopefully, if, if people watch it and like it. So, uh, season one, I'm going to call it season one, episode two, Weird Al is dead. So we see adult Aaron, um, her, her 12 year old you know, version broke into her house and you know, with her punk friends that, you know, she never had, you know, she's saying something like that in the kitchen. Young Aaron's is like freaking too. Um, so adult Aaron's like in a room. She's like, like talking to herself. Young Aaron is like freaking out too. She's like, dude, this is why I become whatever. And Max like, maybe we're all dead. And Tiffany like gives her a look and Max like what time travel is more believable. KJ is just like rambling that, you know, they have to undo this and everything. She wonders that guy is dead. So I said last week that she um, hit him with an umbrella. It was a, her hockey stick. So I must have missed that, whatever. And uh, so, you know, she's like, is, he's not dead, right? And then Aaron sees pictures of her parents, runs upstairs, and Aaron knocks on, on adult Aaron's door. She finally opens it. Then the young asks, she's like, oh, are your kids asleep? And she's like, what? Because she young Aaron thinks that, her older self is married with kids. Then she's like, what happened to mom? Uh, she's like, uh, she's not in pain anymore. Something like that. The young Aaron asks if something happened to Missy too. So Missy's just like, is she dead? And she's like, no adult says that, you know, she's had struggles and uh, Missy wasn't always there for her. Then she's like, are we married? We're still single. Are you happy? And she doesn't really answer that. And she says that, adults like well i guess you're you're still obsessed with growing pains which was the name of last week's episode because they, they mentioned it once in the show so adult aaron says she's a paralegal so uh young aaron's like asking you know, can they stay there tonight young asks she's like are you sick and she's like well that's unclear whatever and then adult asks like why is she covered in blood and says that you know one of the other girls downstairs shot her but she's okay <laughs> so it's just like that would just be like weird uh, we, there's people in those like white uniforms outside that lady leader. So her name is Prioris. She finds like the, the hockey stick or whatever, like close to the dead soldier. And it has like her name under Tiff and KJ tell Aaron that they're sorry about her mom. Mac is lying for, you know, sort of like in sleeping bag and stuff like that on the couch and everything like that. Mac is like distance herself. It's like on the other side of the living room. And she you know, just puts her headphones on because she doesn't want anything to do with them. So Tiff wonders like if all the parents are dead and she's like, I have a hamster. And then someone's like had, and Tiff's like, weird Al is dead. And Aaron's like, no, he's probably just, just got old. And so Tiff's like, no, my hamster's name was weird Al. KJ said that you know she has a dog and she or she had a dog has a dog and had sea monkeys and then it started talking about that whatever and aaron says that her and, and missy used to have sea monkeys too whatever adult is just sitting in her room so mac ends up sneaking out uh she takes something you know, she took someone's bike or whatever like that she rides by some stores rides to the house i guess her house so this is where i wasn't really sure because where'd the gun come from was that no that was in the past yeah so she goes to her house now and the house is like gone. KJ comes up behind her and like scares her. And then they, they talk, whatever like that. They argue about, cause so I guess KJ, her family has money and Mac like resents her for that. And she, you know, she asks Mac to stop saying they and stuff like that. And, you know, it's because, you know, she's Jewish and everything. Like Mac's like, oh, what's the big deal? And KJ mentions like, oh, well, there's a Holocaust. And Mac's like, oh, that was nothing. And KJ's like, well, you know, try talking to my grandma about that sometime. And she's like, and someone wrote Jew bitch on my locker last year. And I think, I don't think it was Mac. I think she's like, oh, I wouldn't do something like that. So Prior is the boss boss lady. She's talking to like one of the dudes who was injured, you know, one of the underground guys or whatever. And she's like, what is this, you know, hockey stick, whatever. And he's like, oh, that's mine or something like that. And she's like, who's KJ? And it's like the last name is like, is he from the underground? And he's like, yeah. You know, is he working alone? No. 
or something like that. Then there's like more talk. He manages to kind of escape and the hobbles away, but then she shoots him. So Aaron is uh, sleeping over or, or standing over sleeping adult. So they want to go back in time to where the capsule was. Uh, they they go to the woods. The bodies are gone. The blood is gone. KJ looks in panics. She's like, "Where's my hockey stick?" or something like that. Then they see adult Aaron's phone, and she explains what it can do. It's you know it's like a computer and everything like that. Then Tiff thinks that the thing that they gave her is like a computer. So it's like, where can you go when it's broke? So adult says that she might know a guy. So to go to the store, Tiff says to KJ that maybe it's time to call her adult self. They're like, can we really trust you know adult Aaron? Max says that she wishes that you know she could have seen her house get demolished. You know, she's talking to, to Aaron. She's like, oh, I'm happy I didn't see my older pathetic self married to an alcoholic. She apologizes for shooting her. She's like, oh, it won't happen again. She's like, you handle it like a champ. So adult Aaron is talking to this guy in a repair station. They like catch up and stuff like that. So they probably went on a date or something like that. And he like had, had never heard from her again. He tries like charging the device and it like sparks up the charger and everything. Like, And Tiff like freaks out because it's like it gets burnt, whatever. And she's like, I was on track for MIT, whatever. And she's like, I, and you know, you're just flirting here or whatever. So she's like mad at adult Aaron. Tiff wants to call her adult self. The adult, you know, she's like, where's the phone book? And adult Aaron's like, there are no phone books. It's like, they're like, what? How can there not be phone books? They're like, well, there's the internet. What's the internet? So adult shows them at home. KJ is still down because she hurt that, that guard or whatever. Tiff discovers that she has her own institute and she's in Cleveland. She's like, she, we should go right away. Mac uh, ends up looking up her Dylan, her brother, and then Aaron and Aaron are arguing. So young Aaron says that you know she's gonna make sure she doesn't end up like her. And adult says that you know she quit the paper route after one day. So these like these girls don't even remember your name. They they call you new girl. Young says that adult Tiff should definitely be more help, and then they just leave. So they're gonna like walk to the bus station or something like that. Tiff realizes that they don't have the device. You know she didn't take it, so they got to go back but she doesn't want to go back because it's it's getting late at the house adult aaron's looking at the device she tries like brushing it off because it's a little dirty whatever and then the scanner things kind of scans her face and then there's like this holo display and she ends up like arming the system and she's like what's that mean whatever and then she gets into her car so the kids went to the mall to sleep and they're just like reminiscing then it turns into arguing and mac like has attitude, you know, cause you know, she didn't have money and stuff like that. And she's like, she blames the others because how they struggled. And Max like, I'm not going back. She's like, I looked at my brother. He's an ER doctor now. And she's just like all rude calling him names. And she just leaves. So then uh, we see Nora and Ozzy Brandman. So they're in the room. So there's KJ's parents doorbell rings and it's Prioris. She's like, Oh, I just moved in. And she's like, is this hockey stick yours? And they're like, Oh, we've never seen it. And then she, I think she's pretty sure she kills him or, or she does something. Then there's purple light inside. Oh, no, I don't think she kills him because we find out about what that purple light means later. And she's like walks down the street. And that's the end of the second episode. Okay. Then season one, episode three, blue tongues don't lie. There's this couple, a couple of adults are talking walkie talkies. There's a woman in the woods. She sees a, a bunch of people in white and the dude, he tells her not to go out there. So his name is, or her name is Juniper Plimpton. Um, and then she says that they got out of 1988. His name is Larry Rudakowski. It doesn't matter. And then it turns purple outside. And then he goes, he talks into this recorder. He says his name when he was born. He's a member of the STF underground. His mission is to protect the asset. The asset lives in his father's office or something like that. 
He's like, if you're listening to this, it's because they've stolen your memory. Did he say office? He's like, they've, if you're listening to this because they've stolen your memory, this is your testimony. Today's date is June 23rd, 2019. Blue tongues don't lie. And he puts a recorder like in a freezer and he sits on the floor and he like puts on a blindfold and headphones. So then we see Larry go to Juniper's. She, he like knocks on the door. She doesn't recognize him. She's like, oh, where's my food? She's like, oh, I thought you were with Uber Eats or something like that. And he takes out a recorder and it's her giving her testimony. She like grabs and turns off. She's like, that's not right. She's like, that's not me. And he's like, you know me. It's like, I'm important to you. She looks at him and then she's just like, oh, I've been expecting you. Where's my food? He's like, I don't have it. And he's like, I, I shouldn't be here. So she closes the door and he plays the, the rust in his van. You know, And she gave like the same date to June 23rd. And then there's like this pager thing goes off and it says like system armed. And he's like, what? So adult Aaron is driving uh, with the device turned on. She's like looking for the girls. And then uh, I think Larry's like following. He's in his van. So he's like somehow he's able to zero in on it or something like that. Uh, or I forget, did he see her? Uh, anyway, so... Aaron, KJ, and Tiff are walking. Adult Aaron finds them. She's like, I'm sorry. She's like, can you just please get in the car? Tiffany's like, oh, you have the device. He's like, how'd you turn it on? So they get in. Uh, you know, young Aaron is a little reluctant, but then, you know, she finally gets in because she's just like, disappointed in her adult self. Mac is at a hospital. She's waiting for her brother, Dylan. And at first I was like, is it going to be her brother? Is it just someone else's same name? He finally comes up and then he he goes to... Uh, goes up to Mac because this like nurse told him whatever, and he like looks at her. He's like confused and he, like in shock. He's just staring at her. So then they they sit and talk. He got her some food, and she says that she knows it's hard to believe, you know, because she must have explained it all or something like that. And she's like almost as hard to believe as you being a doctor. And she's like, if you turn out this good, she's like, I must be out there killing it. So he, uh, she asks a bunch of questions. He finally's like, my sister's dead. She died of cerebral lymphoma when she was 16. He's like, who are you? Who put you up to this? He's like, my sister's been dead. I think he said pretty sure 27 years. Then uh, the social worker comes up, you know, just to ask some questions. And, you know, Dylan thinks that, she, you know, she's a very troubled kid. And, you know, he hopes that she gets the help that she needs and stuff like that. So she's she just kind of glares at him. She's mad. She goes to the social worker. But she left his Walkman on the table. He looks at it. He flips it around. He sees, like, his faded name written on the back, like a Sharpie. And then uh, he opens it up. Dylan's mix three, you know, the cassette is on the inside. Then he looks at, at the glass that she was drinking out of. Because obviously it's like, to check her DNA, right? So Mac is sitting with Donna, the social worker. She asks her birthday. She's like, July 5th, 1976. Then Donna's like, which just like that is like, I don't know how I'm good at math, but wait, some people are just like that. She's like, so you're 43. And then she's like, where are you from? And Mac's like 1988. She's like, I'm a time traveler, but apparently a dead time traveler. So technically I'm a ghost because since her brother said that she's dead. Donna talks to Dylan, says she's concerned about her delusional tendencies. And then Dylan's like, she's my kid. Okay. And she's like, what? He's like, I took her DNA sample from her glass and it matched up. So he's like, I need you to get rid of her file. And she's like, I don't get rid of files. We don't do that. It's like, And he's like, I have a wife and a family. He's like, I want to handle this as quietly as possible. She's like, what? We don't get, I don't get, get rid of files. So Dylan takes Mac in his car. Mac finally asks, how long was she sick? And he's like, for a while. And he's like, for, for the record, you were brave as fudge. And he's, he starts kind of tearing up. And asks if she wants to know how he ended up being a, becoming a doctor. He says because he knew she wanted better for him. And she's like, that doesn't sound like me. And he's like, you don't know who you're about to become. So she takes the cassette out of the Walkman. She tries putting it in the car. He's like, it's not going to work there. And he's like, he's like, hey, play Danzig. 
which is kind of coincidental. Maybe it's the first song or something like that. Cause she was listening to mother by Danzig before and then um, in the hospital. And then the car starts playing that they both start rocking out and everything like that. And then he's like, you know, this Walkman is mine. I must have told you like every day not to take it. She's like, well, I told you I'd bring it back. The others arrive at the hospital just as they, they leave adult. Aaron says she's going to try to track down Max's brother. So tells him to wait in the car as she's walking, Larry comes out of the van and then he he's like, Oh, can you help me with this? And she's like, no, nah, I don't whatever. And he ends up tasing her. And he, then Tiff sees, she's like, look, cause he's putting her in the back of his van. So Tiff gets behind the wheel. She tries to figure out how to start the car. Cause you know, it's a Prius or whatever. And it's a little different. She follows them trying to drive. He turns off this road and they, they just follow it. It's like, okay, you're on this little, little tiny dirt road and there's a car following. So you must see them. Adult Aaron wakes up in the back and he's he's like, who's following us? And he's like, it looks like kids. And he's like, do they have child soldiers now? And he's like, you know, he asks where where the, the two people are. He has hits this remote. These like spikes like pop up on the road and it takes out the Prius's tires, like all four tires. So they they go to run and he like yells, stop. He like fires a gun and then he takes them all downstairs and he locks this metal door. So Dylan tries explaining to his wife about who Mac is. Says he has a distant family member or whatever. And the, you know, so he's like his second cousin and she's not doing so well. She had a relapse. And so it's her, you know, this, this is her daughter and everything like that. So he calls her Kimberly. And then uh, Mac, when he meets Dylan's wife, Jennifer, she's like, oh, I prefer Joe. It's my middle name. It's what everyone calls me. So in the morning, KJ and Tiff are like messing with the ceiling. They're trying to look up at the floor upstairs. Aaron talks to adult Aaron and young says, you know, mom was, was right. You know, never should have taken that job. And adult Aaron's like, no, it's like, you know, we fought for that. And then she remembers when she got home that, you know, mom was pissed and it's young. Aaron's like, you got home. So she, you know, she still hasn't gotten home. So then Larry comes down, opens the door. He's like, you know, you shall have some breakfast. He's like, that was an order. So he asks, who do they work for? He asks, you know, where did they get the device? And Tiff's like, it was given to me. And Tiff's like, he says that you know one of the guys who brought them there gave it to her, and Larry's like, asked if they're in the STF, and she's like, I don't know what that means. And KJ's like, we're paper girls. He's like, I don't know what that means. And she's like, we delivered a Cleveland preserver. So he says something like that. The paper has been you know gone for years or something like that. But he's like, did you see who did it or whatever? And she says they look like soldiers. They had on armor that was white. And he just like walks outside. So Max at the house, you know, she looks at the family picture on the wall and says it looks like everything went right for him after she died. And he's like, well, you're not dead. And she says that what she wants is smokes, donuts, and the brick stuff in the metal yard. He's like, well, you know, I hate to break it to you. He's like, well, one, I'm not going to get you smokes. He's like, uh, the metal yard is gone. He's like, but I do know a good donut place. Um, so he wants to go by the hospital, get some blood drawn. And she's like, what? And he, because he wants to make sure that she doesn't get sick. So he wants you know, try to prevent whatever happened before. So then um, this dude's looking at a computer. Prioris is there. I think that's how you say it. They're they're talking about uh, the responses that Matt gave to a social worker, and Prioris is acting like she's from a higher position, you know, with with the whatever child services. So he she just wants to know like who was the the name of the agent that took the questions. He's like, well, whatever, you know, like that. Then she like ends up twisting his hand, and and then she sees Donna's name on the screen. So adult Aaron and the girls come outside. They see all the, the flats on on the the car. Young Aaron walks up to Larry. She's like. Um, those were your friends and she's she tells him that you know his friend saved her life and he's like yeah mine too so he tells him that they're in the middle of a war 
the people they saw were STF, which is Standard Time Fighters. Its uh, mission is to come combat the Old Watch. The Old Watch is also from the future, but earlier than the STF. So the Old Watch wants to keep things exactly the way they are because it keeps them in power. The STF is working to course correct the moments in history where mankind lost its way. The Old Watch are like rich reactionaries, whatever. They've outlawed time travel because it threatens their future, a future that shouldn't should have never been allowed to happen. He says that the Old Watch is closing in. The girls are targets now because they travel outside their time, and that's a capital offense. So he's been um, burning a bunch of like as they're talking, he's like burning all this stuff like that. Then finally, he has like a like his tape recorder and Juniper's tape recorder like throws him. This, you know, he's got like a barrel fire or whatever. And then he looks at this photo booth strip of photos uh, of them, and they have blue tongues from like the cotton candy. So that's what the the blue tongues don't lie. And he like just tosses that in the fire. So KJ tells him that there's another one of them out there. They got separated. He's like, you know, I'm sorry to have to tell you this, but your friend's probably dead. They ask if, you know, he can trust them or whatever. And then um, he takes them into this big corn silo because there's, there's like, you know, on the side of the barn or whatever. He's like, it might be a solution to our current problems. And there's like this giant mech in there. And that's the end of the third episode. Episode four, it was never about the corn. So there's a flashback to Aaron and Missy. They're like in a blanket tent in bedroom. They're making like one of those triangle, like folded paper, not triangle, the, the, the paper folding things, like four things where you go, you give a number, you go one, two, three, and then there's like a name and a color and whatever. And so it's supposed to predict like who you're going to marry. And so Missy's going to marry Alf and have a hundred babies. And she's like, no, that's gross. And, so 2019 missy's an adult sitting in the office with like some dude they're like waiting for someone the dude finally gets tired of waiting and leaves without a word and she's like Argh! she like curses at the corn silo larry talks about how it's his job to maintain and keep the mech ready the capsule that brought the girls from 1988 was a lifeboat this is a battleship so he says that he needs adult Aaron to drive it. And she's like, what? She's like, heck no. And she like walks out. And he says that she has to because she's the one that it's paired to with the device thing. So he guesses that it's a time, or I, I, I mean, I guess it's a time machine too. So she's like, she's like, I don't want to take the, the kids into a, a war to complete some secret mission. And she's like, and even if I could take them back, she's like, what, what is, how do we return? And he doesn't have an answer to that. So she's like, yeah, see? So Larry's like, the, that robot is going in 1999. So Tiff's like, well, so drop us off on the way. And he's like, it's not a school bus. And Tiff's like, well, if we went to 1988, couldn't you just save the two dudes, Heck and Naldo or something like that, from dying in the first place? So Tiff's like, go to 88, save the two, and then they can go on to the 99 mission. And then you and Aaron can take the capsule and return here, which... You can't do that because whatever, because they need to take the capsule. Anyways, adult Aaron tells Larry, you know, like he said, she's holding the keys and she's taking the girls home. And young Aaron is like, she she almost looks like she's proud of her for like standing up to Larry and insisting that this is what we're doing. KJ is like, isn't excited. She's like, we have to find Mac. And then adult Aaron points out, you know, because at one point she's like, first of all, for the record, I'm not cool with being called old Aaron because someone called her that one time. And she's like, I don't know how to drive that thing. And Larry's like, well, I hope you're a fast learner. She's like, we'll just get one shot. It's like tonight. We leave in six hours. So Mac and Dylan are shooting bottle rockets at each other. They're horsing around or like on, on whatever this one place. They're not on Metal Yard or it's like somewhere else. They're like having fun doing all this stuff. And, you know, there's slushies and everything like that. 
And she's like, you know, today would have been even better if you bought me smokes. And he's like, I'm not getting you smokes. He's like, you're the one that got me hooked in the first place. And, you know, she talked about some stuff. Then he apologizes that, you know, he how he treated her and he was a bully to her. He's like, now that I have kids, he's like, I realize how rough our childhood was. He's like, not just with dad. And, you know, again, he's like, I shouldn't have bullied you. He's like, so there's more joking about like she calls him something like he's like well you can't say that these days or you know i, I forget what she called him or something like that probably something about being gay or something. then she's like well you know what are accept what words and she's like what about this like fart knocker and this whatever then she's like does dad know you're rich and he's like he knows i'm a doctor and she's like where is he at dylan's like last i heard he's in a trailer park in florida it's like we don't really talk anymore and max like and you named your kid alice and so I don't know if that was his girlfriend or something like that. So Dylan's like, once you were diagnosed, Alice never left your side. He's like, afterward, she was the only one there for me. This is finally like his shot to be there for Mac. So the device is put in a robot. It syncs up to like her equilibrium or something like that. And everything else should be set to autopilot. Um, Aaron's kind of joking around some bit like, and, and Larry's just not happy. And he's just being totally like serious and all this. So then she gets a, a call from Missy and she's like, oh, she's like, I'm sorry, I missed it. So Missy's like, well, I'm in your living room. Where are you? Missy's like, this is what happened when you don't show up to sell our mother's house or answer any of my calls. So she's like, you know, what's going on? And she sees like sleeping bags and the blankets on the floor. She sees like the bloody shirt. And then Missy's like, uh, Larry, what's your address? So Prioris talks to Donna about Mac. And she says, she says that they released her to a family member. And Prioris is like, well, the file was incomplete. She's like, you have to complete the file. And she asks for the address. She's like, I'll just pop over for a very discreet you know, follow-up. No drama. Donna calls someone to get Dylan's address. Because you know she's kind of intimidated and everything. But she doesn't get hurt, thankfully. Young Aaron talks to adult. She's excited. Missy's coming over and they're going to try to fix things. And so she finds out Missy's a helicopter pilot now, whatever. She's also not the same person that... Uh, young Aaron, you know, Aaron knows. She's like, you know, Missy wasn't exactly there for us when mom got sick. So Tiff talks to Larry. He's, he's, she's gone over everything about what has happened and what they, she might have a good entry point. She drew this map, uh, you know, sort of this place in the sky went pink. He's like, that's when the old watch wipes someone's memory. So he says, call ablution. And Tiff asks, he's like, well, why weren't our minds wiped or something like that? And he's, he says he's not sure. He's like, maybe you avoided the beam. It's it's light-based. He's like, there's a capture part. The actual mind wipe happens under command ship. So maybe that's what happened to KJ's parents when there was a light. Maybe they didn't die. I don't know. KJ uh, says something. You know, she doesn't care to hear about her, her future because, you know, if her mom probably got her way, you know, she already knows because you know, she, she had everything planned out for her. But she found Mac's brother's address. Dylan says that he's given some thought as to how to make Mac a permanent part of his family. So in a few days, he'll get news that Joe's, quote unquote, Joe's mom had a nasty relapse and then she disappears. So then he'll have um, the adoption talk with his wife, with Jennifer. And she's like, adoption? And then, you know, they're outside of private school. And then, you know, his daughters, Wilder and Al's Jr. come up. And Wilder's like, he's like, oh, I want you to meet my cousin or whatever. And and she's like, why is she wearing my leather jacket? And, you know, she's, she's right away. She's like a little uh, tense, you know, cold or whatever. So Missy's arrived. Aaron and, and Larry are acting like they're a couple. And it's it's like pretty awkward and everything because she's like, how'd you two meet? And it's like that. And then they hear a motorcycle. KJ takes off on a bike and he goes out like cursing and stuff like that. Young Aaron's like listening in hall, call it, hall closet because she wants to see Missy. 
And Missy's like asking, she's like, are you still taking your meds? She's like, I can't believe that you asked me that. And she's like, this is just about, you know, the money, to, you know, from the house. And she's like, it's, you know, it's not about the money. And she's like, do I? So young Aaron seems bummed to see how they interact because they're so close. And now like they, they can barely, you know, stand each other. And then she noticed that there was blood from where she was sitting. So obviously she got her period. It's like, what's she going to do about that? Missy goes to leave. She tries telling Aaron about, you know, what happened. But then Missy comes back and she's like, I forgot my bag. And Aaron's like, you know, it's been a tough year. And Missy's like, you know, I, you could have reached out. And Aaron's like, well, you have a husband and kids and a career. And then, so then it kind of comes out that Aaron was trying to spare her from dealing with everything. And she's like, I did you a favor. And she's like, oh, so you want, want me to say thank you? Thank you. you. You robbed me of having a relationship with my mother in her final years. Aaron's like, I never meant to do that. And Missy's like, well, it doesn't matter what you meant. It's done. Then in the silo, Larry finds Tiffin there. You know, he, at first, you know, he yells at her about her friend who stole, you know, the, the bike and he's probably going to get killed by the old watch and everything like that. And then he apologized for yelling and stuff like that. Then he takes out like an old farmer's almanac. He says that, you know, his dad made him record all the stuff. And he talks about like this, you know, he shows her and she's like, I don't know what this means. And there's like these phenomenon that would happen every once in a while. So he knows when one's happening which is what's going to happen tonight. So KJ arrives at Dylan. Dylan's wife sees her like on a side house. She's like, can I help you? She's like, oh, I'm, I'm sorry. I was looking for my friend. And Jennifer's like, oh, Kimberly. I said, like, oh, I mean, Joe. She's like, everyone calls her Joe. And she's like, yeah, she's just down the street at Chili's with her cousins. And she's like, ask KJ, because KJ's like, oh, I, I should go there. And she's like, do you want to come in and, and wait? So you have a glass of water. So she's in there. And then, uh, you know, she asks, you want a snack? Do you want some kale chips? She's like, what's kale chips? She's like, you're right. I should get you something else. Doorbell rings. So Prioris is pretending to be a new neighbor that moved in around the corner. And, you know, Jennifer's like, oh, I didn't know the place was for sale or something like that. KJ, like, peeks around and sees her. You know, Prioris sees, like, the Walkman, like, on a, like a bench by the door. And then she's like, can I, I hate to ask, can I use your restroom? And she's like, Jennifer's like, sure. KJ takes off on a motorcycle, went out the back. And Prioris shoves her against the door. She's like, where is she going? At Chili's, Wilder's being pretty uptight. You know, she's like, does not like the food. You know, she's like, I can't believe we're eating here and all this like that. Alice is like having fun. She's like, look at this. It's like, I don't know if like a chicken crisp or nugget. Or she's like, it's almost as big as my face or something like that. Max, like she's chowing down on fries and stuff like that. And she's, you can tell she likes Alice Jr. Because, you know, she's young and immature like her or whatever. And then Mac, um, Mac starts getting like rude with Wilder and everything like that. She's like, oh, don't worry. Your, your uptight friends or something like that won't see you here or something like that. And she calls her name and Dylan has to talk to her alone. And then Mac's like, you're not my dad. He's like, no, but I am their dad. He's like, we don't talk to each other that way. And then she wonders like, when did you get so soft or whatever like that? And she's like, I don't even know who you are right now. So he tries like sorting things out, whatever. And, and he's like, he's like, I'm your, your older brother. He's like, yeah, I'm not your father. I'm your older brother. And I love you. And you know, this, it's all crazy. He's like, but we're going to figure this out. He's like, we have something that most people never get a second chance. He's like, and I'm not going to waste it. Not by giving you the life that you should get the life that you deserve. And then, um, Max sees KJ, you know, come in the back or something like that. Then she's like, okay, I'm, I'll, I'm sorry. She's like, I'm, I gotta go to the bathroom. So KJ says, like, we have to get out of here. And Max like, I'm not going anywhere with you. And KJ is like, we found a way back to 1988. She's like, and we have to go tonight. It's our only shot. Max like, well, I want to stay. And KJ says, that future lady murderer is after us. She's like, I saw her at your brother's house, and she's got to be on her way here right now. So Mac looks over at the table. KJ's like, I'm sorry. He's like, if you want them to live, we have to go right now. 
So then Prior storms into Chile, like knocks people out of the way, like busboy with like a big tray of glasses, or whatever. And then she sees them right off on a motorcycle. You know, KJ's driving, Max like holding on on the back. She shoves more people out of the way. And, you know, Mac, you feel bad for Mac. You know, you're just being so tough and, you know, mean. But she's like on the verge of tears and she's just like leaning onto KJ's back, like fighting the tears. At Larry's, Aaron says that they can't just leave two girls behind, but, you know, they have to go. Then there's a rumbling in the sky so that the folding in time is opening. So that's where they have to take the mech into. Then they see the motorcycles coming. So um, they get off. KJ's ass smash. She's like, are you okay? But then Priora, she's driving and she sees a fold, you know, from a distance. She turns into the driveway, hits the tire spikes. She takes out a gun in her hand. She runs, which is weird. She runs to the silo. How would she know to run to the silo, not like run into the house or anywhere into the field? She kind of goes out. Robot starts like busting out, walks to the fold. She makes it. Prioris is not happy. And then it's like nighttime. She's still standing by the busted silo. This other dude comes up. Closed caption, um, whatever, or the thing says that he's the grandfather. So two separate words, not grandfather. The grandfather. And he's like, it's not that I'm mad. It's just disappointed and that's the end of episode four okay then uh, season one episode five new period so the the mech comes out of the fold uh it's by this big factory at night so not only does it travel through time it's apparently traveling through space unless i mean it's possible this factory construction gravel whatever place is where the farm was i, I don't think so anyways it, it falls over because it's like hits like a mound of gravel, or whatever. They all kind of get out. KJ tries a uh, you know talking to Mac, and she's like, "Oh, are you okay?" Because you know she's obviously Mac is upset because she didn't want to leave her her you know her brother and his family because you know she was, thought it was you know going to be good good life for her. Adult Aaron tells younger Aaron to to go home now. You know he's like, "You're safe. You know we'll take it from here." Tiff tells Larry that she thinks they have about an hour to save Hecanaldo. He's like all riled up and like doesn't. You know, he just doesn't want to talk to her. He's like, I don't want to look at your stupid map and everything like that. And then there's like the pink light in the sky. So Larry's like, oh, we're too late. He's like, I'm sorry. He's like, run. So they run into this construction trailer. Like that doesn't seem like the safest place to, to go. Larry pulls out a gun. And then there's there's this other giant mech that shows up. Larry stupidly is like shooting at it. It does absolutely nothing. It's like he he's literally has a pistol that he's shooting at a giant mech. So then it like holds out his hand. It blasts him. He at first is like, wait, is he really dead? Are we supposed to think he's dead? But he's not. He's just a pile of ashes. He, he's he's gone. So it's like, okay, that was like the stupidest thing you, you could have done. It like um the the so this new mech comes. It scans the fallen ones, kind of looking for life forms and everything. Uh, it's about to scan. It's scanning. Then starts scanning the the different trailers, and it's about to get to where where the kids are. But then it gets like interrupted by a rat because it detects another, you know, something shoots by, you know, so it scans that and everything like that. Adult Aaron tells young Aaron to take care of them to get as far from there as possible. She's going to go take care of things. So she runs out to their fallen mech, gets in a control thing. It gets up. She starts punching the other one. You know, she puts like the glove thing on and she's like working, you know, working the hands and everything like that. Knocks it down, but then it shoots out a blast from its like spine like and it hits aaron's mech and then um 
she's like she tells her she's like i'm gonna do it it's like you're gonna win you're gonna do handle this you know you're something she's like trying to you know pump herself up she um so she again with controlling the the hands she grabs a pipe and it charges up the other one charges up you know she swings and she impales it uh, but then like you know the power levels are, are decreasing it grabs a pipe from her hands and then you know his alarm goes off and there's like battery override warning and then she closes her eyes and she decides there's that red button that larry told her not to push she hits it Boosh, boom they're both taken out young aaron's just like no nah! she like cries out and and she's like in tears because she just saw herself get killed she saw herself like sacrifice herself like blow up KJ tries comforting or anything like that. Aaron's just like wailing. So then old watch soldiers show up. They're on the scene. The girls are still like hiding out in the trailer. Tiff says that there's a backpack that Larry had. They're like, we need to get that backpack. We can't let it fall into our hands. They're like, well, we can't do anything, you know, because there's there's like soldiers and drones flying around and scanning stuff and everything like that. Tiff goes out there. So that grand father dude, again, two separate words, not grandfather. He's there along with Prioris, and you know they talk about how I, I guess they used to drive the mechs together, and you know whatever. So they they got like some history. They found uh, the two dead travelers. She wants to end this, and she's like, you know, we can just do this. Just send me back there. And he's like, that's not our way. Then Prioris is like, then the war continues because our enemy won't tie their hands like we do. So basically, she wants to go back in time and. and stop this but he's like we don't do that our thing is you know we're not changing the past because time has gone you know this is where they want it to go they don't want to change things the the sft whatever or the the underground they're trying to prevent these bad things from happening to put the old watch in power whatever so he's like i understand you know it's personal for you he's like we all lost someone special you know it was his time so prioris must have lost her husband or boyfriend or who knows or someone he says that um he needs her to ablute the whole area so the ablution is the the pink light in the sky that wipes all the memories so he has to ablute the whole area or she has to do this so it it can be done for good so you know so no one has seen has any recollection of what's going on there they start rolling out so they can make it happen tiff uh runs and grabs a backpack because you know she's like hiding behind different rubbles or whatever she makes it back to the trailer and then she tells him because she heard this. She's like, the ablution is happening. Larry told her about it. They do it to keep the time war secret from everyone. Sky starts turning pink. And, you know, they're like duck. They're hiding, you know, in, in this trailer. Max's like, well, it's nice knowing you, I guess. So they just like duck and close their eyes. And then later, after it's over, you know, they're like walking down the street. Tiff wonders, like, why do we still remember everything? He's like, this is the second time it didn't work on us. And they're like, but now, you know, we can go save Hecanaldo. KJ's like, no. She's like, I'm going home to play with my puppy, have a good dinner, and sleep in my own wonderful bed. Tiff's like, we have to warn them. It's like, they're walking to an ambush. And KJ's like, no. It's like, I'm done watching people die. And Max's like, she's right. It's not our, not our problem. It's like, I'll even be happy to return to my crap hole house and, you know, wake up, do my stupid paper route tomorrow. And KJ's like, forget that. She's like, I'm quitting the paper route. Tiff's like, you're not seeing the big picture. You know, nothing can go back to normal now. So in the backpack, she's like, you know, she pulls out the, the almanac. She's like, this is a guide to all the unfoldings. Like, there's a war going on. We can't just go home. You know, we have to help win this thing and, you know, get this book to Hecanaldo. Because, you know, if we don't do anything in the next hour, it'll all start up again. You know, it'll be the ambush, the capsule. Aaron gets shots. And, and you know, but Cage is like, we are the versions of us in 1988. 
and Aaron's uh, asks like, why are there flags everywhere? It's supposed to be Halloween. And you can see there's a, a sign in the building that mentions, mentions a 4th of July barbecue. Tiff runs over to like a newspaper vending machine. It says July 3rd, 1999. She's like, there must have been some miscalculation when we went through the rift. And Cage is like, no, it's obvious. Larry lied to us. He was never going to take us home. Old Aaron died for a lie. Tiff's like, but we were chosen. Max's like, we weren't chosen for anything. He's like, we were an accident. A little bit later, Max, you know, sits next to Aaron on the sidewalks. After, you know, she's like, "Were you always wearing those pants?" She's wearing these sweatpants now. And then Aaron's like, "I need you to steal something for me," because she had her period last episode. They go to a convenience store. Aaron goes in and just like kind of leans against the counter, which is kind of weird. Mac comes in, you know, like a few seconds later, and then she goes to like figure out where the tampons are. She's staring at so many different variety of tampons. The store clerk, he's like on the phone talking. He must be talking to his girlfriend or something like that. And he, he looks at Aaron. He kind of gets weird out because she's just staring at him. And he just kind of like you know, turns or whatever. She goes to a slushy machine, you know, fills up a cup, and then drops it on the floor. And he's like, what, what are you doing? He's like, don't step in it. And he hangs up the phone. He goes in the back to get like a mop or whatever like that. And then they they run out of the store. So now to the big question, it becomes like, how do you use a tampon? And uh, none of them have actually had their periods yet. And, uh, the, you know, they all thought KJ would have because she goes horse riding, you know, whatever. So they, they're trying to figure out how to how to use it and everything like that. And Tiff actually finds instructions. And it's like a huge box of, like, tampons. I, I don't even know how many were in, were in this box. But Tiff finds instructions. Erin worries. She's like, well, what if I can't get it out? And then Tiff mentions, like, toxic shock syndrome. And they're, like, freaking out. And she's like, well, I'm not doing it. And they're like, well, I don't think you have a choice or whatever. So Mac's like, okay, I'll go back and get you a diaper version. So we get a whole little little bit about different tampons. They decide they need something to eat, some um, some place to sleep. You know, they can't go to their families. They don't want a repeat of what happened to Aaron. So Max suggests a homeless shelter. And you're like, ew, whatever. But Max's like, well, they have give you food and stuff there. Tiff suggests it. She's like, well, why don't we go to school since it's summer? And then Max's like, yeah. And then, you know, we'll set off an alarm. The cops will show up. And they said, you know, maybe the power and the electricity is off, which at schools aren't going to shut shut that stuff off. So then KJ's like, fine. She's like, we can go to my house. She's like, every 4th of July, we go to Lake Erie, whatever, and sand our boat. And Max, like, of course you do. You know, could get all like in her face about the fact that she has money. Aaron finally comes out of the bathroom and she, she gives her like a reluctant thumbs up. She f- was able to figure it out. So they, they're walking over to KJ's house and there's like a bunch of cars by her house. And she's like, there's not normally this many people around. So there's a party going on there. You have to think about this. If this is um, 1993, she would be like 22 here. So they probably don't do this family trip anymore. Was it 22? I forgot if she was 12, 11. Anyways, uh, so Mac and Tiff suggested going in and grabbing some food. She's like, they won't recognize us. And then, uh, you know, Aaron and KJ are standing out in the street. And Aaron's like, sorry. She goes in too. KJ, like, I think she sees her parents, like, inside. So she finally goes in. And then someone's like, KJ. And she's like, oh, crap. But then there's an older version of her there. So I guess, you know, she would be, like, 23. Young um, KJ, I forget who she's talking to. But she's like, oh, I hate that guy who she's, you know. There's this dude. I think he was, like, a you know quarterback in high school or whatever. So he's, like, talking to, to KJ. So she's like, oh, that guy. 
Tiff checks out an almanac. She you know gets a little plate of food. She's in another room eating and she's working on deciphering it. Mac gets like a a plate like a bunch of shrimp and like you know the cocktail sauce. She decides, decides she doesn't like it, so she brings a plate to Aaron. But Aaron says she's not hungry. Mac, she's like, well, why don't we explore the, you know the rest of the house? You know because it's KJ's big. You know it's not even that big of a house. Mac later is like talking about her brother and his family and all this stuff. And then she says that his wife and the younger daughter were nice. You know, she didn't obviously didn't get her along with Wilder. Then Aaron's like, you know, I'm sorry you had to leave. And Mac's like, well, I wouldn't have fit in anyways. Then uh, KJ goes into room where Tiff is. And then here comes a dog. It's her puppy. But he's obviously like old now. And it's almost like I think he like recognized her. Maybe he could still smell her. I probably confused but it was sweet uh mac and aaron they decided because they're in this uh, back room and there's like the coat room where everyone's putting their jackets they decide to start going through people's wallets and stuff and like stealing your money because they need to eat and everything like that but someone has like 200 dollar bills in there so it's like are you really going to take like leave your purse and your money at a party I, I guess you would trust your friends and all that but, you know, Aaron's like, we can't take that. And, you know, Mac's like, well, we have to. And, you know, convinces her or whatever. They talk about Dylan and then uh, then uh, other stuff like that. Mac asks if it, asks Aaron if it hurt when she saw old Aaron die. And she's like, I didn't feel anything. Then she's like, she never really felt like her. Like, she, it seemed like she was like another person. And Mac's like, no, she was you. That means that you saved all our lives. So it's like interesting, you know, because Mac always has this like, she's just tough and, you know, whatever. She doesn't care about them. But then there's, there's these little glimpses where, you know, she does care about the others. KJ goes upstairs, looks at family pictures in the hall. And she goes by her room and there's this other girl in there. And she's like, oh, yeah, I go to school with KJ. And KJ's like, I, I'm her cousin or something like that. And she's like, yeah, I can see, you know, resemblance or whatever. KJ asks Lauren, this other girl, like, what do her and KJ go to school for? And she's like, oh, we go to film school. We both go to NYU. And she's actually surprised. She's like, uh, KJ's like, KJ's not in business school? And she's like, no. It's like, she's an amazing director with an amazing eye. And, you know, she's, uh, you know, they, they talk some more about different movies and stuff like that. There's just like, you know, like to talk about Stanley Kubrick. And KJ's like, who's Stanley Kubrick? And whatever. There's this matinee, you know, they should go tomorrow, you know, or she should, you know, they're going and Lauren tells young KJ that she should go too, whatever. She's about to leave, you know, or she, you know, she goes out in the hall, someone's coming up. So she ducks in the bathroom. It's older KJ. And then she sees, she kind of peeks out and you kind of know what's coming up. You kind of saw this like episodes happening. She sees KJ with Lauren in a room. They're like talking, and then they start like making out. And she like she's like shocked. Young KJ's shocked. She like closes the door. She's like on the floor, you know, in the bathroom, and he knees to her chest. And then then you know she stares at herself in the mirror. She's just thinking. She's trying to figure out like what's what's going on. And this is something that I wondered. I feel like, and I don't remember from the comics because I I never finished it for whatever stupid reason. And now I'm just realizing that like all the issues I bought are at the Comic Vine or GameSpot or Office or whatever. Um, I did end up getting like the the, the complete trade thing. So uh, I, f- I feel like Mac, like KJ kind of likes Mac or she, care- you know, like then there's like the whole motorcycle thing, but whatever. So she rushes out. Then the others, you know, they leave the house. They're like, what happened? And Aaron's, you know, she's like, Oh, he's like, we saw your older self. And Cage is like, so what? It's like, we all did. And Aaron's like, I know something about her. And Cage is like, shut up. And Aaron's like, 
you know, I was just going to say that this guy, Rick, was talking about her. And Cage is like, I don't care about him. And then Aaron's like, why are you being such an a-hole? And then Cage is like, what'd you call me? And she, like, storms up to her. And then Max like, whoa, whoa, you know, to, like, to hold her back. And then KJ, like, punches her in the nose. And she, like, falls back. She's got, Max got a bloody nose. And Tiff starts, like, yeah. She's like, what do we do? What's going on here? He's like, you know, you all think you're, you know better. And you're all just stupid, helpless little children. And she kind of storms off, too. So then Tiff finds a phone booth by a train station. She looks in the phone. You know, there's there's a phone book there. She calls a number. She calls adult Tiff. And she gets an answering machine. So she gives the other. She's like, um, I don't know if this is the right Tiffany, whatever. I forget her last name. She's like, uh, the, your mom called you this. You know, this is a nickname. You have a birthmark here, whatever, blah, blah, blah. You know, just a information that she would know. She's like, if it's really you, I, you know, I could really use your help. And then someone picks up the phone. Hello? And that's the end of episode five. And that is going to be enough paper girls for this week. So we'll do six, seven, eight next week. So you may have already watched it all. If you binged it all when it first came out, we're going to put a pause on it for now. All right. Harley Quinn, season three, episode four, a thief, a mole, an orgy. And I, I, I'm enjoying the show, but I'm, I'm finding Harley's voice to be (laughs) just very annoying. And I know that's the point. It's just, it's, it's a bit much lately. And I don't, I don't know. I mean, I don't know if it was just the same during the first two seasons and it's just bothering me more now. I, I don't think it's changed, but anyways, so it starts off. Ivy's still working on the Eden formula. She still wants to terraform Gotham. Frank is enjoying being like all powerful in his new form now, you know, so he, his, he's going to be the one to pollinate the, his seeds are going to pollinate terraform everything. But Ivy mentions how, you know, he can only, Right now, in his current state, he can only pollinate like the small little area. So Ivy says she needs to increase his seed production tenfold so they can start the terraforming and everything like that. Ivy tries getting Harley to leave her work area because she's just so loud and annoying and everything. But then King Shark and Clayface come in. King Shark says that he downloaded Cyborgman into Catwoman's smart home. So he's got like this tablet and size. He's like connected to the internet so you can ask him everything, which like you can ask the internet anything anyways. And then... Ivy has to get a little firm about trying to work. So they're, they're, they're kind of sad that, you know, she's telling him to leave or whatever. And then she, like to herself, she mentions there's like 37 other rooms in the house, whatever. Later, she gets interrupted by loud music. So the three are jamming on instruments. So Harley and Clayface are on guitars and King Shark is on drums. And Harley says that they're going to be Gotham, Gotham's greatest progressive alien deathcore band. And it's it's just like... It's like they're being annoying just to be annoying. I mean, this is like extreme annoying, whatever. Clayface says that they're called the Blackened Pains of Xerathan or something like that. And, but it's like, shouldn't Clayface be working on the movie, with the James Gunn movie? Because he's supposed to be Billy Bob Thornton since he killed him and he's posing as him. I don't know. If, was that concluded last episode? Anyways, uh, Ivy mentions it's just a touch too loud. So Harley's like, okay. So she turns it from 11 to 10. And back in her lab area, Frank says that she's being a little bitch for not telling Harley and the others how annoying they're really being. But Ivy says that she's uh, that a big part of being in a relationship is not always telling the exact truth. That way you can get what you want or what you need without hurting anyone's feelings. Also, she blew up their last place, so she doesn't really feel like being the bad guy right now. Then the music starts again loudly. Harley's like singing some stuff. Her vocals are atrocious. It's just, it's so screeching and everything like that. 
Ivy comes out and says that, oh, Catwoman texted and said the instruments that she stole from this legendary whatever with something, they're extra, they're, you know, strictly off limits. So they're like, ah. So Ivy decided to make Catwoman the bad guy. It turns out the mayor is still alive. Uh, there was this uh, campaign spot with him. Uh, actually, he's, he's he's in a coma. So at first I was like, wait, is he alive? Because uh, there's a dude like pulling a pulley that makes him kind of, I think he did like a thumbs up or something like that. And this little like flag pops out of the end of the pipe or whatever. So Two-Face comes into Jim's offices. They're getting crushed in the poles. Jim's like, how's that possible? It's like, he can't even, you know, the mayor can't even pee by himself or on his own and harvey says that the mayor is playing the coma card so their internals show that 57 percent of the voters think that it's mean that jim is running against someone in a coma so jim's like well that means the 43 are with us and harvey's like no he's like 20 said that they wish that jim was the one in the coma and another 15 says i don't get carpool karaoke they just sing along the songs in a car so harvey's like well they clearly thought we we're you know asking about james corden but whatever Barbara says that, you know, maybe he needs to change things up, be more gym and less commissioner. He's like, yeah, just need to chat with like the cool youth. She's like, he's like, you're young and everything like that. He's like, why don't you gather up 3,000 of your closest friends for me to talk to? And she's like, I don't really have any. And she like corrects herself. I don't really have that many friends. And Harvey's like, yeah, I figured. But then he's like, campaigns are won with money. So they need money from the filthiest, rich, richest pieces of poop that the world has to offer. She mentions like Carmen Falcone, Rachel Ghoul, he says they say Raz Al Ghoul, or if they're really lucky, Henry Kissinger. <laughs> and Barbara tells her dad that if he takes the money from them, then he'll be beholden to them. And she tells him just you know run with what he believes in, you know like the truth, justice, law. And she's like you know you're enough. He hugs her. He's like oh you really are my north star. Then he turns to Harvey. He's like where are these rich a holes? So Ivy's still working in, in her lab area. Then. Harley comes in to use Catwoman's fancy Japanese electronic toilet thing. And she's like very loud in there like, Ooh, ah, what you know? And then she comes out, she's like, Oh, that was spiritual. And she yells to the others like, you have to try it. And Ivy's like, Oh no, another text from Catwoman. No one is allowed to use her special toilet ever. And Harley is like, how would she even know? And Ivy's like, well, there's cameras everywhere. And she points to like, you know, a little camera in the corner. So Harley is, is, She's being annoying. She's angry. She's walking the halls with a bat. She starts smashing all these cameras. <laughs> Again, they're they're staying at at Catwoman's place, free of charge, and and she's just like destroying her property. I mean, those f- cameras are gonna be expensive, but she doesn't care because she's just selfish. And I, I is she just that ignorant or just that selfish? I don't know. So then we see. Harley, King Shark, and Clayface are like bored in the living room, or whatever. Then Ivy comes out, says she's finished the serum. You know, it'll take a few hours for Frank to be ready to spread the pollen all over Gotham, whatever. So she thought maybe they can go out for a celebratory dinner at Mama Macaroni's because they mentioned wanting to go there before, something like that. So then they come back after dinner, and Ivy's like, Tomorrow we terraform all of Gotham except for Mama Macaroni's because I guess they all really liked it. She goes to the lab area, and Frank's not there. So then Ivy grabs a tablet to ask Sai if he knows, you know, where frank is and he says that did ivy grab it yeah he says that he he doesn't know but he'll check the security cameras so ivy's really beating herself up saying she never should have left but then Sai says that um he's like is there a villain it looks like static he's like otherwise uh you know all, all the cameras are busted so ivy's like whoever broke in knew exactly where all the cameras were and harley's like wow how you know diabolical or something like that some devious poop and then king shark found a 
a wardrobe fastener like jewelry pin or like a brooch and but it looks like it's like gold and it looks like owl eyes so it's like cord of owls probably and harley's like i've seen that before and i know who can help us then we see joker he's frustrating trying to work on common core math with his son from his weird family thing from i think his last season he so he he says the brooch's court of owls used to be the city's most exclusive secret society they bankrolled really evil schemes now it's just a bunch of old straight white dudes who jerk themselves off or each other off and then uh if they haven't changed your schedule they'll be having their weekly meeting tonight and harley's like wednesday nights she's like you told me you were playing softball and joker laughs he's like i was lying he's like what grown man plays on a softball team he tells Ivy to get in. You just need a mask and a password. Lucky for them, he has both. So he comes back. He has two masks. He's like, oh, you're saving me a trip to Goodwill. And he's like, they're like, what's the password? He's like, the password is hoot hoot. And then they complain that that's like dumb password. And it's like using your name for a password. And Ivy's like, Harley, you use your name for your password. So Harley and Ivy walk up to the mansion. They're just, all they have is a little half mask on and their, their regular outfits they go up to the the, the dude at the door in a, in a robe hoot hoot he lets them in everyone inside is wearing the cloak robes except for them then up on the second landing the spotlight goes on this dude's like it's time for the sacrifice he's like before before we get to that we have a quick announcement and he's like there's been some complaints from the newer members about the inhumane sacrifices we've been performing for over 100 years so they're going to use this goat pinata it's going to play the role of an actual goat tonight some people are like oh man so he like he stabs it and there's like red paper that he uses as blood whatever he's like now that the whatever gods have been you know their hunger's been satiated let's jump right into cocktail hours so harley and ivy are going to split up see if they can find someone covered in frank's pollen outside harvey tells jim to get ready to go inside you know but jim's having trouble seeing because he can't get get the glasses to stay on over the mask they keep falling off or anything Inside, he introduces himself to a guy, even though, you know, they're not supposed to reveal their identities, and it turns out it's Batman. But Jim's like, wait, he's like, wait a second, I recognize that that strong jawline and those shoulders that look like they're carrying the weight of the world. And B Batman's like, oh, crap. But he's like, Bruce Wayne. So he just didn't figure it out. Harley finds Bane with a mask on over his face. She's like, I know it was you, Bane. He clears his throat. He's like, who is this Bane you speak of? I never heard of him, though he does sound like a pretty cool dude. And she's like, what were you doing at 5 p.m. till now? He's said so he in his standing therapy session, you know, he has trust issues or whatever. And he, he says it because she borrowed a pasta maker and never gave it back or something like that. You know, that, that's where it started from. Then Catwoman walks in. And of course, you can tell it's her. Harley goes up to her complaining, but that she can't use her toilet. And Catwoman's like, I have no idea what you're talking about. And Harley says she knows all about her texting Ivy that she can't do anything in her apartment. Catwoman laughs. She's like, what would be the point of selling, of stealing the whatever, something 3,000 toilet if she didn't want to show it off? And Harley is like, that's what I said. So Catwoman looks, she says, it looks like that Harley's problem is with Ivy, not her. So Harley realizes that Ivy lied to her. Cy messages Ivy, says not all the cameras were broken. There's one in the fancy toilet where, and they, they got a shot of the person's butt. So Ivy's like, someone broke in, stole Frank, then took a dump. And he's like, well, I can't confirm it was in that order. He zoomed in the picture and enhanced. There's a mole on the butt. And so he sends her the picture. She's like, ugh. And she's like, this is all you could find? He's inside. He's like, well, it's pretty good considering Harley bashed in all the cameras. And she's like, wait, what? So Jim um, goes up to Bruce again. He's like, he's talking. And then Bruce is like, Jim, if I give you money, will you leave me alone? He's like, yes. And he's like, yeah. Uh, at one point, he's like, I even have an endorsement of Batman. And Bruce is like, no, you don't. He's like, well, he not yet, not officially. not He has announced it yet. 
So Ivy and Harley confront each other about the lying, whatever. And Harley's like, Catwoman told me everything. And Ivy's like, I didn't lie. Just didn't tell you everything. She's like, plus the last time we hooked up was years ago. So that's not what Harley was talking about. Harley's, she's like shrieking her lines, lines or like, like about not knowing all this and everything. And she's like, any more shocking sex things that, you know, going on for me to find out about? Then the lights change. And um, so while they were sitting there talking, like a waiter comes by, like hands them some stuff. So she looks at what, what she's holding. It's like Legion of Dildo Spermicidal Lubricant. Then um, the leader dude in clo cloak, he's like, let the grand owl orgy begin. Hoot, hoot. Everyone takes starts taking off their robes. And, you know, the, all the private parts are like blurred out. So they're going to start going it. So name it episode you know there's an orgy harley and ivy are like shocked they're just like standing there and then ivy finds says that they need to focus on finding that butt mole because whoever has that mole took frank and but harley's like why didn't you tell me about catwoman if it didn't mean anything and ivy's like because i knew this is exactly how you'd react and harley's like wow and she's like starts walking away it's like boohoo poor harley i i mean you don't have to like do you do you have to tell everyone every little single about your past i mean unless it was specifically asked like oh who are you with because later at one part harley says like oh I'm, i should tell you everyone that i hooked up with and you know from the grossest to to whatever and and ivy's like please don't so it's just i don't know jim comes out of the bathroom he doesn't know what's going you know why it's so dark he, you know he's still trying to see he takes his phone out to use a the the phone flashlight but then he drops it and he's like trying to get it. it keeps getting knocked on the floor and is just like sliding all over the place ivy finds harley leaning against a pole moping and then ivy says the real reason she didn't tell her wasn't because she thought she'd freak out but when she and catwoman hooked up ivy wanted more even though it was so obvious that catwoman didn't so she waited around hoping that she'd change her mind while she waited she was wrapped around her little finger and she still cringes every time she thinks about it so after it finally ended she felt so pathetic she never wanted to think about it and it, she's like it wasn't even a real relationship when she and harley got together she knew that she found what she had been uh, pining for all these years so catwoman didn't even mean anything to her but harley she means everything so he starts smooching they hit, hit, hit a, accidentally hit a light switch. The light goes on, kills the mood for everyone. So then Harvey's outside. Harvey's upset that Jim didn't get any money from anyone. But he's like, I did get a sweet selfie with Bruce Wayne. And then Harley, Harvey takes the phone. So it's like, oh, crap. He's going to realize that Bruce Wayne is really Batman, right? But then Jim's like, oh, I didn't, don't remember taking these other pictures. So Harvey's looking through them. And he's excited because now they can blackmail. He's like, we now have videos of every major player in Gotham. And then um, they still don't know, you know, Harley and Ivy are in the room. It's being hosed out and everything like that. And, you know, they still don't know who took Frank. And then we see Frank is strapped to a table and he's like, what? We don't know who, who has him. And that's where it ends. So, uh, yeah, I mean, there's, there's some funny moments. It, it does feel like they kind of tried pushing things even further here with like the whole orgy scene. <laughs> But I guess that's the nature of the show that they're that what they're going for. I just I just don't understand why Harley has to shriek everything all the time. But I guess that's what we signed up for. And now the movie feature of the week is Bullet Train. And I'm just gonna straight up say I really, really, really enjoyed this movie. This might be this might be one of my favorite movies of the year. It was. It's. It's not. Um, 
just like oh superb classic piece of art or what it, it was just so much fun I love Brad Pitt. I think he's so charismatic. I just think his delivery and, you know, he kind of acts a little like a buffoon sometimes, but he's also like extremely skilled. You know, he's just amazing this role. I I just, I love his movies. I think he's just such a phenomenal actor and just, just his presence and everything. So he does a great job in the role and the movie, it, it you know, it might be a little cliche. It might be a little predictable and everything like that. It kind of goes all over. It's, it's a little like chaotic and, you know, it, there's a lot of like flashbacks and cuts and this and everything, but I, I just had so much fun watching it. And the, the runtime, it was, it was two hours long. It, at, at one point I was, I was, you know, like close to the, like in the final act, I was like, wow, this feels like, like kind of a long movie, even though it was only two hours, it was like two hours and six minutes, I think. But I, it wasn't. I didn't feel that in a bad way. I just felt like that there's like so much time or or so much story has passed, and I I was enjoying it. Like you know what I was talking. I think I mentioned it like when I was talking about the Warner Brothers, like the the movies versus streaming shows. I, you know, I I loved the shows like Peacemaker or even like Moon Knight or Ms. Marvel that you get these multiple hours of show. Don't give them to me all at once. But I, I like that, you know, we, we can see the these characters, that's just a story. Because if you're invested in something, you don't just want to see like two hours boom and then you're done. You know, I want it to keep going and I want to be able to enjoy, you know, as long as there's something, a story to be told and the qualities there and everything. So when I say that it felt kind of long, I meant that in a good way because I didn't want, the, you know, the fun to stop. Bullet Train, it originally was a, two, a 2010 Japanese novel. It was written by Kotaro Isaka, and then it was translated to English by Sam Melissa, Melissa in 2021. Um, the original name was, what was the original name? Medi, I can't even say that. I'm not even going to try to say it. When I heard, when I saw the trailer and I was like, oh, you know, Brad Pitt's coming out. And then I, I saw it was, a, or it was a book. I listened to the audio book. Then when I saw the trailer, actually, I think I might have read the, or listened to the book before I even saw the trailer. When I heard it was coming out. I, I don't remember how it was. Because I remember then seeing the trailer or maybe I saw the trailer once and I finished the book. I remember watching the trailer. And I'm like, oh, wow, they're they're changing some things. It almost feels like they're adding new characters. They're doing different scenes. Because, like, in the trailer, you see there's, like, a part. There's some people, like, out on this, like, desert road doing some exchange. There's, like, people, like, hanging outside the train. I was like, that stuff didn't happen in the book. I was like, oh, I guess they're actually stepping off the train. Because they don't really step off the train in the book. You know, it's it's like you have your starting point and the end of the line. And there's, like, everything in between. You know, a lot of, a lot of crazy things happen. So I was like, oh, they're, they're changing it. And then I was like, wait, are they adding other characters? I was like, who's this dude with like the, the big hair? <laughs> I, I should should probably know. <laughs> oh, wait. <laughs> I just realized. I was like, okay, so the dude with the hair, I was saying he had this like big hairstyle and everything, uh, which is probably like what my hair would do if I didn't like tame it with or contain it with hairspray. Uh, Bad Bunny, <laughs> who is, isn't he supposed to be in some like Sony Marvel movie or something like that? I forget the, the character. So he was in, I was like, when I saw the trailer, I was like, wait, who's he supposed to be? Because he is a character from the book that uh, doesn't have a huge role in the book. His role is a little, little more here. And then, you know, I, I'm looking also, it's like Joey King. 
I was like, who is she supposed to be? Because when you see her in a trailer, you don't really see her do much. But the fact that they, you know, she, it's not like she's, I mean, she's she's a, a name. And I, I even know who Joey King is. I've, I've seen, wasn't she in a, a Blumhouse movie like that came out like on Amazon? I, I know I've, I've seen her in, in something. But I was like, wait, who is she like this new character? Because she seemed a little suspicious the way she's looking and observing something. So I was like, is this new character? Uh, not necessarily. And then, you know, we have Aaron Taylor Johnson. He, he, so I, I will also, I'm Sam jumping all over the place. I'm just so excited. So Aaron Taylor Johnson plays his character, uh, Tangerine. And then Brian Tyree Henry plays Lemon. And one of my things when, when I saw this, I was like, Tangerine and Lemon, they're supposed to be twins. And Aaron Taylor Johnson obviously is white. Brian Tyree Henry is not white. And I'm like, okay, it's not like it's a huge important part of the movie, but they're supposed to be, you know, these, these two, they're not necessarily hitmen, but they're kill worker, whatever you, you call, they're, they're not mercenaries. These dudes, everyone refers to them as they're like the, the twins. That's how they're referred to. So I'm like, are they just changing that? Is that a huge crucial part of the story that they're referred to as a twins? No, but whenever you you know compare a book, you know a novel and a movie, you want there to be some similarities. It makes sense, and I will have to say, Brian Tyree Henry as Lemon, absolutely loved his performance. His I love the character in just a role. He made me love the character more, and not not necessarily love the character. I you know I I could appreciate I like the character in the book, uh, and I'll just say he had this uh. He, he referenced Thomas the Tank Engine a lot. And uh, there, there's an important reason for that. You know, it's, it's a, just a part of the character. So Brian Tyree Henry, his, just his delivery and just, he he sells it. He nails it. Like all the stuff, like everything that he says about, about you believe that this guy is deeply invested in Thomas the Tank Engine. <laughs> and then Aaron Taylor Johnson, he was really good in his role. So Joey King, what I will say, um, without spoiling things, she is a character in the book they just change her gender. And uh, in, in the book, the, the character was, was a, a kid. So I don't want to, it's, it's not a spoiler. Cause I, I mean, I don't know how many people listening have read the book or listened to the audio, but if you look at the credits, she's, she's listed as Prince, which is something that this kid, in the, I did not, could not stand that, that, that kid in, in, in the book. And when I, when I, when I saw the trailer, I was like, wait, is that kid not even going to be in the book? Because the, that kid was tied to this other story, this other guy. And, you know, there, there's this whole other stuff going on with this, this dude, Kimura and his son. I was like, are you just changing all that? But no. So when I saw the trailer, I was, I was like, wow, they're really changing a lot. It's Hollywood. It happens. The movie was a lot closer to the book than I thought it was going to be and that that's a good thing i just think that they they just did a really 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 good job with this there's um there's a few like surprise cameos which is fine i i loved it uh it's it's absolutely not necessary so i think that's like the other thing that you're gonna want to see those before you know you get spoiled it's it they're nice pleasant surprises I will say 
maybe you'll 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 pay a little more attention if if you don't already hear about it because I don't know if it's it's if it's even been announced. But let me back up a little bit. What is this movie about? <laughs> so this is what happens when I get so excited. So the basic premise of the story: Brad Pitt is this worker guy, transporter dude. You know, shady stuff, or whatever. He he's hired to do a snatch and grab job. So his handler calls him. And, you know, you don't don't see who it is when it got to like maybe like halfway, like three fourths of the movie. I'm listening to this voice. I was like, that sounds like so and so. And it was. So you might notice right away in the beginning when, when he's talking to this woman on, on his phone, you don't I didn't wasn't even paying attention. But then after I was like, who, who who's who's he talking to? I think it was after you see one like the first cameo and then it might have been before the second one i was like wait uh, did they is there gonna be like another cameo with the voice and there was so that that was i i enjoyed that um so basically he gets hired to go on this bullet train and snatch a briefcase that has like the sticker on the handle there's just like all these other parts these pieces going you know that intermesh with this brad pitt when I saw, I was like, "Oh, he's he's supposed to be glasses guy," because you see him in in the the trailer. He's walking down the street. He goes to the locker, and you know, she's like, "Take the gun," and he doesn't want to do all that. Because in the the book, he's this guy who has like incredible bad luck, and he wears these big glasses. Brad Pitt does wear glasses from time to time. It, it looks like he should be wearing them all the time. The way he's like trying to look at stuff and like squinting and everything like that. But maybe you know, people don't want Brad Pitt in glasses because then you can't see his his handsome face. I don't know. That was another thing I was glad that, that he was still glasses guy, even though he's referred to as by another name in, in the book and in, in, in the movie. He gets hired to, t- to take the suitcase, but there's just all, there's all these other characters. And it's, it's almost I wouldn't say it's necessarily an intricate thing, but just like all these different pieces that just intermesh. I think I said that already. And they just kind of overlap and connect and everything. And and that's what, what kind of fascinates me, just seeing like how all this comes together. And there's these other characters that kind of get in the way of certain things and it just creates more obstacles and, and all this stuff. So I just, I really enjoyed it. And even though I knew the, the basic premise of the story. The ending is a little more sensationalized, a little more Hollywoodized, bigger production, like like crazy, you know, um, just bigger explosions or, or whatever you, you want to say. I I just, I, I enjoyed it. And so even though I knew the heart of the story and where it was going to go, I, I liked watching it all and, and seeing everything. So this is, you know, some people they enjoy watching adaptations. Like, you know, some people like, oh, I got to read the book before I watch this. So then you kind of know, expect, and which is a weird thing for me because I hate spoilers. I always feel bad talking spoilers and knowing people that they, they want to see the spoilers before they watch the TV show or the movie or whatever. That just blows me away. I think it's a little different when you compare a book and a movie. It's not, there are going to be some spoilers, but you don't know 100% whether everything is going to happen the way it happened in the original source material because things get changed all the time. You know, like I said, there was little minor things here and there that, that get changed. Uh, I, I just, I really liked the movie, even though I knew the majority of how things were going to go. And I just think they just did a really, really good job. And I'm already, as I'm watching this, I'm like, man, I cannot wait till this comes out. It's like, 
they're, they gotta make a steelbook for this you know 4k blu-ray ultra hd i need to get this i need to have this i'm so excited and i don't know if this is necessarily like my favorite movie of the year but it might be pretty close i'm trying to think what other movie i may have liked more than this and i know i really like the black phone i really like top gun maverick but i wouldn't necessarily you know top gun maverick they did a good job i don't know if i would say that's my favorite movie of 2022 you know and i i know it's early uh you know there's there's still a lot of in the year it's kind of too early to, to talk about end of the year you know best stuff because i never talk about that stuff but i would say you know movies that i i really enjoyed you know everything everywhere all at once i really like that uh the unbearable weight of massive talent i really like that i really like Doctor Strange, I know some people really love that, and some people apparently didn't like that. Uh, I think I might have to say, and you know, Studio 666, I love that. I think I might have to say that Bullet Train might be my favorite movie of, of 2022 so far. I really like Love and Thunder. Um, yeah, so I'm, I'm trying to think of everything that, that, that came out this year. That might be my, my it might be my favorite. So I, I don't mean to put a lot of like put it up on a pedestal like and then you're going to watch and you're like really that was your favorite movie i didn't think it was that great because rotten tomatoes here's the thing because this is my opinion and it just hits me in a different way it might not be the same for you rotten tomatoes it's at a 55 percent from 152 critics uh so they gave it a positive review average rating 5.6 out of 10 the website's consensus reads bullet trains colorful cast of and high-speed action are almost enough to keep things going after the story runs out of track. I don't. I don't. I think the story was fine. Metacritic assigned the film a weighted average of 49 out of 100. See, that doesn't sound good to me. Uh, Richard Roper, Chicago Sun Times, 3.5 out of 4, calling it wildly entertaining. Praises the performance, the creative and blood-splattered action sequences, and most of all, the writing. Peter De Bruges of Variety says Bullet Train feels like it comes from the same brain as Snatch, wearing its pop style on its sleeve, a Kill Bill-like mix of martial arts, manga, and Gabby Hitman movie influences, minus the vision or wit that implies. Okay. But then there's apparently a little controversy around this. Apparently, because several non-Asian actors... Uh, like you know Brad Pitt and Joey King there was a lot of accusations of whitewashing the the characters co- compared to to the novel and there's this dude the executive director of the Japanese American Citizens League he criticized the the casting um explaining that while the American adaptation would have been appropriate if the setting took place in the United States the filmmakers chose to keep the novel's Japanese setting while keeping Japanese characters in the film's background strengthening the charges of whitewashing um, this dude also questioned the actor's al- allyship to the Asian community for knowingly accepting whitewashed roles and further criticized the film for pushing the quote-unquote belief that Asian actors in the leading roles cannot carry a blockbuster-led um, film such as Crazy Rich Asians, despite being cast in a film, uh, blah, 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 or there's other stuff. But then there, the screenwriter says that the decision cast beyond Japanese or Asian actors proved the strength of Isaka's work and that the story could transcend race. The director noted uh, discussions had taken place during pre-production to change the film setting, but ultimately decided to keep Isaka's original setting at Tokyo due to the international appeal. That's a tough one. I mean, there are some Asian a- actors in, in the role. 
but there there's a lot of they're not just so the thing is when you're saying they're white they're not all white they're not, or, or, or when you're saying they're white they're not all american and it's it's just hard to say you know you put Brad Pitt it just happens to be Brad Pitt is white and but he's immensely you know famous and and popular I, it doesn't mean that if the entire movie was Asian, you know, I would still totally want to see it after you know listening to the book, but it's 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 I, it's a sticky situation. The even the thing with like Joey King, is it whitewashing because the her character is supposed to be Asian, but the thing also her character is supposed to be male, and now it's female. I don't know. I mean, I just I love the movie. And you know, to be honest, when I when I thought about this, even though the, the changes, I didn't even really think about that. And I don't know if that just means that I'm just totally oblivious to it, and that's a bad thing on my part that I should be more sensitive to it. I just thought this is, is an entertaining piece of cinema, and and I was just so happy. And that's just the fact that I love. You know, I'm not a white dude. I love Brad Pitt movies. I I don't know. I mean, Bad Bunny. You know, he he was in it. He's he's not white. <laughs> you know, it's I it's it's just, it's just a tough thing where I, I I don't know what the answer is. I I just really can't can't touch on it. And it's unfortunate when stuff like this comes up. And I I get what they're saying because most of the movies that you know Hollywood puts out, they're and I don't even know if that's necessarily the case anymore. You know, we are seeing more diversity, but maybe it's still not enough. And but you know they are making little steps of progress. Like I don't know, but it's just too bad. Now I'm, I'm bummed that I read that because I just love this movie so much, and now I got, got that part hanging over it. So I just I just really enjoyed it, and I I do want to see it again. I just I feel like this is a movie that I will want to watch, you know, again and again. You know, not necessarily like every every day or every week or every month, but it is definitely a movie that I'm going to want to revisit because it's just it was fun. There's a lot, and I didn't even talk about the violence. There's a lot of violence, a lot of action, a lot of great choreography. Um, it's not like overly super gruesome. You can see some places where they kind of pull back a little bit. You know, where it, it could have been more intense, but they, they do a good job strongly implying certain things. There is blood. You know, don't, don't get me wrong. It, it's not like it's, it's a rated G or PG, you know, thing. So I, I, I think there's a really good balance with, with all that. There's a lot of humor in there. And, and, it, and it's not like forced humor. I know some people don't like some of the Marvel stuff because they feel there's too much humor. I think it's just a, a really good blend of it. So all that being said, I love the movie. And it just might be in a, in a, where I'm at, like right now, that this is just, I really wanted something like this. This is, I really wanted just this piece of entertaining. Again, it's not going to be, you know, Martin Scorsese probably wouldn't necessarily like the movie. You know, he would think it's it's too too gimmicky or cliche or who knows what he would say. I don't know. But I just, where where I'm at, this is what I wanted. This is, I've been looking forward to it. I enjoyed it. I thought it was, it was just entertaining action and humorous and just compelling you watching it, you might be like, "Yeah, that was all right." I, I, I don't know. I mean, well, well, you tell me what, you know, after you watch it. And again, you're entitled to your opinion, just like I'm entitled to mine. I thought it was great. I loved it. Hopefully, you'll at least really, really, really like it. Time will tell. I, it's at that fifty, whatever fifty was it, fifty five percent. That that seems crazy. I think I'm curious what the audience scores will, will be. It might be too early to. To, to, to see that, but I, I thought it was great. 
Okay, um, I just looked up the Rotten Tomatoes. This might be earlier because it's it's like still early in the weekend, so it could go up or down. It's the audience score is at a eighty six percent compared to fifty five percent. I think that that's good. So you be the judge. I th- I think it's worth watching, and I think that's that's really all there is for me to say. I I don't want to get into anything. I don't know how much of the story. I I I think I said enough. So definitely go see it. I I think you'll enjoy it. And hopefully you enjoyed this episode because that is going to mark another episode of the Random Podcast from Heck. Big thanks to Dave McPhail and Andrew Loken. They are my personal heroes. They are big supporters of the show. You can be a supporter by going to patreon.com slash gmanfromheck. Any amount you can commit to will be awesome. If you commit at the Rick Jones tier or higher, you get access to the secret podcast from Heck, which is an additional 30 minutes of podcast entertainment every single week. I recently did uh, just like an off-my-mind topic about comic book deaths. It's something that comes up like so often when I talk about comics. So I just want to do just a separate discussion on just just deaths. So I might something I may do from time to time. Talk about movies. Um, I'm probably going to talk about comics maybe this this next week, this week, whatever. But if you can't commit to monthly commitment, you can also help out by going to coffee.com slash gman from heck and you can buy me a virtual cup of coffee or two as ko-fi.com slash gman from heck so what is coming up next week so as i already mentioned you know we'll have prey the the, the whatchamacallit uh, uh <laughs> predator movie there'll be some sandman there'll be some more lost girls um n- next week i i th- i'm trying to think Oh, there's also Lock and Key season. So this is going to be crazy for me. Lock and Key season three is coming up. And I've now I talked about the first two seasons. I feel like I should talk about this is the final season. I Am Groot starts <laughs> this week. So uh, there's there's a lot. There's Lego Star Wars Summer Vacation. That started uh, last Friday. Or started. I think it's just a one shot. That was on last Friday. There's, there's just plenty to talk about. Um, so we'll see how much I, I can squeeze in. So thank you for being here. I can't believe my summer is almost over and school is starting up soon. Um, I hope you are doing well. I hope you manage to uh, find some some something fun to do with your life and your 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 summer. I hope you're taking care of yourself. I hope you're taking care of others, and I really hope you remember to be good to each other. Yeah.